your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's something to celebrate right there. I mean, the amount of wins those two guys have together is special and something that uh, moving forward, I don't see anybody breaking that. That's a, a special day for them. They're in there celebrating as we speak. That was a special game last night. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tater Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I'm not talking about meeting Eduardo Perez before the game in person and him saying, oh, you're the guy that wears the backwards hat. Yeah, can, nope. Totally different. Can we discuss that for a minute? Because when you sent me that text, I, I, part of me was like, is that an insult or is that how I'm known now? Well, he was smiling when he said it. So oh, I don't okay. Think it was an insult. Well, yeah. I, 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 I it's I think he said he basically wanted us to take that however we would like. Well, it's nice I was to like, know. No, 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 no. That's the other guy. <laughs> it's nice to know that he, he listens, follows our social media accounts. I thought at first he was referring to back when the Blues video was. I was like, man, he remembers that from that long ago. <laughs> well, it's like, I, damn, he must listen to Randy in the morning. See, this is how our, our our show goes because when I was at the concert last week at Bush Stadium, someone was talking to me and they're like, yeah, you're the Kansas City Chiefs guy. Go, no, that's BK. <laughs> so I don't know if we sound alike because people tell us all the time when BK's got a great take, they're like, you idiot Ferrari. And I'm like, wait, that's BK that said it. Yep, so yep. maybe we need to change the tone of our voices. Probably. We should probably do different things with our hair. That might yeah, be a well, good I've, idea as I've well. I've already called the high squealy voice. Alex so. maybe goes with the yeah. bleach blonde look. I can stick with my typical well, you me slim dark brown style? black look. Well, that, that's, that's no coincidence to Eduardo. My hat's backwards again today. Yeah, so no surprise. Let's do it. Who could have seen that one? For what it's worth, we also met Marley Rivera in person yesterday. She's told Tanner he looks like he's 12. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's kind of how it goes. We've all got our things, and Tanner's that he looks 12. We apparently look like one another. Did she or did she not ask how you got into the ballpark and where your parents were? No, right. she did look at like BK introduced herself, and then she like looked at me and was like, who the bleep Who is you? this guy and why oh, you are brought you? Your, you brought your son <laughs> to work today. Well, you must have had him when you were in eighth grade, BK. Yep, that's pretty much All how right. it went. Also from the 314, I knew that this was going to probably be a text at some point mm. today. Hey, guys, so Aubrey Poole is going to be in the circle of trust, right? At least an honorary oh, member. Did you see ready. the two home runs he gave up? Absolutely not. What a wild night it was yesterday at Bush Stadium. As the Cardinals get an unreal victory, 15-6. to Don't look at that final score. It was worse than it looks. Albert Pujols was pitching. Um, But also, what I believe to be one of the more unbreakable records in professional sports was broken yesterday. 
Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright now have 203 career wins with one another as a battery unit. You heard what Ollie Marmel had to say about that coming back from break. Here's what Adam Wainwright said about it after the game. What he said in, when we were in the shower about to get all kinds of fluids poured onto us, almond milk and Fanta, cherry Coke and the like. Um, what he said was Can we stop there? to the guys was, hey, this, this doesn't happen without great teammates like y'all. So, And, and that's that's kind of how we feel, you know. I mean, just, uh, this is a, a blessing that I get to do this with him for as long as we have. But also understand we've been a part of a lot of really good teams, a lot of really good teammates that helped make that happen. You pointed at me like you want me to react to that. You want me to react to the baseball side of things, or can I react to the first part of things? I mean, you can do you, buddy. Nobody followed up with the amount of fluids being poured on them in the shower before? Well, he clarified. Yeah. Almond milk and Fanta. Cherry something. Cherry Coke, I think. Yeah. Seems like a sticky shower experience. Anyway. Some would say it was a sticky situation, Alex. Well, I think it'd be a good sticky situation. I mean, he's right. Ali Marmol's right. You guys are right. Like, there's, there's, there's... There's no denying what those two have done. I went and looked at this, like the closest battery mates in terms of just starts. And I know we're talking about the wins there and they're chasing the starts and should have that record by the end of the season. The the last time somebody was close to them was Cole Hamels and Carlos Ruiz from 2006 to 2015. And they only started 207 games wow. together. So like, it's worth, Wayno and Yachty are at 203 wins. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah. And <laughs> they were at 311 starts before this season. So like they're going to catch that 324. That yeah. is the record. But it's just, it's fascinating to look at. Like the 60s and 70s was the last time you saw that. And it really is the difference in generations because at that time you had guys that stuck with their teams for the longevity of their careers and now you have individuals that are only there for a few seasons and then they're gone as soon as that free agency kicks in so it's it what's so cool about it i guess and as i'm watching it last night is it's a little taste of the previous era of baseball watching those two guys perform together so and of course albert closing it out as expected closing it out you know what the best part about it was like and they said it on the broadcast and i loved it i think eduardo perez said it and he was like well now he gets a taste of what it feels like on the other side and i'm imagining all like brad lidge sitting at home watching that game and thinking oh yeah how's that feel albert when gonzalez took it after the game i got a taste of what i've done to pitchers for the entirety of my career like that literally said that that had to have been Brad Lidge, I'm imagining, sitting at home on his lounge chair be like, yeah. It's the meme. Suck it, Pujols. To uh, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. meme where he's hey. looking at the TV. <laughs> it, was, it, it was a really cool, like, generational moment to watch the, and I know there's still a long season to go, but it was like the end of an era of watching those three go through a season, and specifically Wayno and Yachty. I should clarify, it's team wins, not wins as a pitcher. Well, I apologize, text line. Stat. For, for not clarifying that enough. But wins are a team stat. I think this is going to go down as an unbreakable record, to your point, Alex. I don't think that we're going to see anybody even come close to this anymore. And part of it's because of free agency and the way that players change teams. You're not going to see a catcher and a pitcher come up together right around the same time and then have a 15-plus year career together on the same team. And by the way, a winning team for that entire stretch. I just don't think that we see something like this ever again. So I looked up this morning some of the other most unbreakable records in pro sports, and this is the category that I think this will go into. Most 50-point NBA games. Wilt Chamberlain has 118 in his career. Had 118 in his career. Michael Jordan is second with 31. Wow. 
most consecutive titles in the NBA. The Boston Celtics in the 60s won eight straight NBA titles. That That ain't ever going to be broken again. Most consecutive games played in Major League Baseball history. This is one that, of course, everybody references when you look at the most unbreakable records. Cal Ripken Jr. started Bartolo Colon. Six or two thousand six hundred and thirty-two consecutive games. Most NHL points. Wayne Gretzky oh. had two thousand eight hundred and fifty-seven in his career. It's just unfair. Yarmir Yager is second with nineteen hundred. He's still playing, by the way. It's unbelievable. Like, Forty-six years old. No, no, no. It's like uh, Ichiro with the amount of hits that he got. It just doesn't count in the NHL. All of those go down as trivia answers. You could put them in trivial pursuit. You never have to update it because it ain't going to, it's not going to be broken. The same thing is now true for Yachty and Wayno. What you saw yesterday, you could put that in the war. It's never being broken. And that is really special, man. That's something that Ollie Marmol mentioned last night. Like this is, this is something worth celebrating. And it's not just those two to the point of the text line. Uh, that's a team stat. And so That is something that the Cardinals as an organization should be celebrated for as well. Over the last 15 to 20 years, this has been a model organization in baseball. And as much as we get frustrated with them for, in some ways, good reason, this doesn't happen unless they're consistently putting a winning product on the field as well. Yeah, I I mean, to with the team behind them, I I don't know, man. It's kind of like you're at a loss for words watching it because it. You knew coming into the season that it was going to happen. Like you knew that they were going to accomplish these moments, but it still feels surreal. Yeah. Like it still feels like you're watching something that you knew history was going to be made, but it doesn't feel like that it actually happened, if that makes any sense. And I don't think it does. I think I confused myself there. No, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it it makes a ton of sense because like I've grown up just watching. Like I can't remember another catcher besides Yadier Molina being the guy behind the plate. Yeah. I can remember other starters being paired with Adam Wainwright, like the Chris Carpenters, uh, some of those guys in between Carp to where before we are now where Flaherty's kind of that guy that's paired with him. Uh, But like seeing it, you don't think much about it. But when you start to kind of take the thousand foot view of it and realize what the record is and you're going, well, I've witnessed history, but I never thought too much about it until I saw it last night. And then it popped up on the scoreboard and they show you and they announce it in the press box saying you know setting the new major league record it, it's surreal because you don't really think too much about it when you see them pitching back in 2006 you just assume it's going to be another one of those kind of oh they're going to do it for five ten years and then either Yadi or Wayno is going to go elsewhere uh, so it, it's unbelievable to see it it is kind of just a surreal moment yeah I think my career has been Mike Matheny and Yadi or Molina like, and I know there was probably a couple of catchers before Mike Matheny, but like my knowledge of Cardinals catchers has been Mike Matheny and Yadier Molina. Yeah, and that's unheard of. Yeah. For, for that to be the case in any city, it seems borderline impossible. But that's that's what it's been, and that shows you the longevity of Yadier Molina. It's why he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and it's why, frankly, Albert or Adam Wainwright's going to have a chance. Like, I, I think that Adam Wainwright's Hall of Fame resume. <laughs> will be stronger 10 years after he retires than it is the moment that he retires. And that may sound strange to say, but what I mean by that is as he continues to get further away from his playing days, you're going to start seeing more and more often the game's going to trend in the direction that it is right now, where you're going to have fewer Adam Wainwrights that go deep into games that are able to play for one team for 15 years that I know Wayno missed some time with injuries, but for the most part, he was super durable while he was here in St. Louis. That's the opposite of the current modern day pitcher. So 
I do think Wayno's Hall of Fame resume, I, I was a doubter for the last few years. I'm starting to come around to the idea that not that he's a Hall of Fame lock by any stretch. I don't think he will be. I'm not even sure that he gets in from the Riders. I think eventually the Veterans Committee, something like that, it's totally possible that Adam Wainwright ends up getting into the Hall of Fame. And some of the things that he's doing this year, along with Yadier Molina, those are going to be part of the resume that helps him to potentially get in. And to your point there, I mean, would it stun you at all if I said Adam Wainwright will be the last Cardinals pitcher to throw 200 innings in a season? Like, that's the way the game is trending. He did it last year. I think somebody year. will do it. I, Someone maybe. always comes along and does that. Uh, it, it's possible. But I, I, if you told me, hey, he could be the last guy to do it for maybe 10 years, I would believe it. Like, that's just the way There's it, just too many guys trending. Are, even around the league right now that are that are doing like stuff Michael like Michael McGreevy that. seems like a guy that could be trained into doing that in the minors. I don't know. Just as how precautious teams are nowadays like I remember I can remember who wrote maybe Nino Sarah's wrote that he thought this was the year that we would see nobody throw 200 innings because of a shortened spring training Frankie Montes is at 49 innings already this season Justin Verlander's at 45 I, I think we'll probably get one this year um so I, I because of that because like this year I think we might I, I don't think that it, he'll be the last but I mean there are other things similar to this where you're going to be able to point back to it and say that was a historic duo those two together were among the best to ever do it together. And that's that's a super special thing. Alex, you mentioned yesterday was like a throwback day at the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Man, how cool was that? Like sometimes baseball can just be a lot of fun. And I, Jeff Jones, I think it was, asked this in the postgame uh, press conference with Ollie Marmol where he's like, hey, man, is it? Is it cool sometimes to just have a fun baseball game where like there's not a whole lot riding on the line and by the middle of that one you had a no hitter going for Wayno you were clearly it was it was out of hand there was no way the Giants were going to be able to come back in that one and the last four innings were basically just a celebration at Bush Stadium of what Yachty and Wayno and Albert had done it was just a really cool night of the ballpark and that's what that was all about so I, I do think that was special and of course it ends with Albert on the mound and here was his reaction when somebody asked him to assess his own performance as a pitcher. I was, but the thing is that I couldn't even get it there. That's the thing. I, was like, I, I had to thread it off. So I, every time I try to keep it down, I was bouncing it. So <laughs> he was. He said that Yachty tried to tell him to get the ball down, get it down, get yeah, it down. Stop <laughs> just giving those balls that are dropping at the top of the uh, pitch zone. He's like, I can't. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is not going well. Uh, just what a cool night at Bush Stadium, man. That was that was a lot of fun to be there for. Just to give you a peek behind the curtain, so I wasn't down at the ballpark with you guys, um, but uh, so I was at home and I was watching the the um, game seven in the uh, Stanley Cup uh, finals or not finals, the the the, uh, the NHL playoffs. And you texted me and said like. Stop taxing me. Albert Pujols is pitching. I legitimately stopped what I was watching. It was the third period of that Penguins and Rangers game. And I flipped over to watch Albert Pujols pitch. That's how cool of a moment that was. And I thought they painted the perfect picture on the ESPN broadcast when they said everyone's on their feet. Everyone in the stands, the Cardinals dugout. And when you get the opposite dugout on their feet, that goes to show you what those teams are and truly Longoria doing. Longoria asked for the ball that he hit off of Albert Pujols. Everyone was laughing at that, too. It was fantastic. I mean, Longoria has had a pretty, pretty good MLB career with a lot of achievements throughout his career. That was the baseball he that, that he ball. wanted. The one that he hey, hit off of Albert. I'd frame that ball, too. Heck yeah. By the way, uh, credit to Juan Yepes. 
he caught that final out, I believe, or he got the ball in the final out and made sure to get it back to Albert Pujols. Albert said after the game, I don't know if anybody has reported on this, but Albert said after the game, yeah, I'm going to have everybody on the team sign that baseball, and that's one that I'm going to be able to frame in my house because it was such a special moment for him. So that was really cool. And my good buddy Ben Boyd, um, he put a tweet out last night. There are two players in MLB history that have hit 600 home runs and pitched a game. Babe Ruth and Albert Pujols. Decent company. Like, you need to have that baseball. And soon enough, did you smirk? Are you smirking because you said that earlier? No, no, no. no, no, okay. no. I thought you I'm guys were smirking because you like said totally that. It's like totally different, like, <laughs> paths of how it occurred. Yeah, like, Ruth was a pitcher, yeah. and then Babe he gets Ruth converted actually to a hitter. And then Pulse just shows up and is like, yeah, I'll throw an inning. Why I'm ready not? for 20 years from now. Randy's going to get this question on the fight. There are three players in Major League ba- Baseball history that have done that. One is Yadier, or excuse me, one is Albert Pujols, one is Babe Ruth. Who is the other? And it'll be Shohei Otani. It'll be a great day. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, are we giving the Blues enough credit for their level of talent? I feel like it's being downplayed right now. And I got to be honest with you, it's kind of pissing me off. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But next... Edmundo Sosa and Brendan Donovan appear to be getting a clear chance right now to win the shortstop job. How long does that last? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. who's a gold lover at second to short, even though he played short at AAA and in college at Stanford. So they're really hoping that Sosa is the guy that takes this and kind of goes with it. That was the ESPN broadcast last night saying that the Cardinals are going to give Edmundo Sosa a real shot to be able to win this starting shortstop job. Alex, I thought Edmundo Sosa was excellent last night. Finished the game two for five overall, but made a great diving play defensively. Had a couple of plays where it's like a hey, scores from first. That's the kind of energy you expect him to bring on the bases. Had a nice RBI single as well. Just an overall really solid performance out of Edmundo Sosa. Here's what Ollie Marmol said about him after the game breaking down what he saw from Sosa in that one he's always going to bring the energy but today there's a combination of that energy and also him kind of settling into the speed of the game not trying to do too much you saw one at bat I think it was the third pitch before he hit that line drive to the backside kind of told himself to like hey calm down and uh he actually did it you can you can just see the rhythm of his at bats change so it was a it was a positive day for him the thing that stands out to me about what we've seen so far this year from Edmundo Sosa is the strikeout rate Last year, and really for his entire major league and minor league career, he's not a guy that strikes out very often. But this year he's striking out 38% of the time. That is like peak Tyler O'Neill, and I mean in the bad peak version, uh, strikeout rate. That's that's one of the worst in baseball. And he's batting 205 on the season. We know he doesn't take a whole lot of walks. He's a free swinger up there. But Uh, To Ali Marmol's point, yesterday he seemed more under control at the plate. I love seeing him be wild and erratic and taking chances on the base paths and uh, making these diving plays out in the in the grass. Like those things are great, but at the plate he's got to be a little bit more calm than what he's been so far this year. I thought you saw that yesterday, and my hope is now that he's not looking over his shoulder. And I think this went both ways with both him and Paul DeYoung. Now that he's not looking over his shoulder to say, hey, am I going to be able to get the start tomorrow? Are they going to go back to the guy that has the contract? 
I do wonder if we see the best version of Edmundo Sosa as a result of that. I wonder how much of Paul DeYoung going down was not just about getting DeYoung right, but also giving a chance to Edmundo Sosa to be able to really have some runway with this job. I just think it's more consistent at bats. I mean, last season when he started to play consistently, I'm looking at now. So May 18th was where he got a start and then he played every single game going all the way till the end of May. And I mean, he went on a run there where he had hits in eight straight games. I mean, maybe it's just consistency for Edmundo Sosa. I'm going to stick by what I've said all along. This is a fine temporary hold, but I will not end this season sitting here saying Edmundo Sosa is the answer at shortstop because I've fallen for this before. I've looked at Aledmus Diaz and I thought that he was the guy after one great season. We did it with Paul DeYoung. I don't want to do that again. I need some consistency. I need some career stats that back up the fact that this guy can be a number one guy. But look, for the temporary, if it comes down to Edmundo Sosa and Brendan Donovan leading up to the trade deadline... I'm all aboard that train because Edmundo Sosa, he provides the spark that the Cardinals need. Whatever it might be, you always need one of those energy plugs in your lineup in terms of offense, defensively, in the dugout, on the field. Edmundo Sosa has provided that, and we saw it in back-to-back games. So I I like the idea, but again, I'm going to hold strong by this and say that he is not the long-term answer at shortstop. Yeah, I I think the strikeout rate that you brought up, BK, I I think that will definitely go down. I think we'll get back towards his uh, career norms because I agree with Alex. I think he's a guy that needs to get at-bats for you to see what Edmundo Sosa can actually be. He reminds me a lot of, and it's totally different players, and he doesn't have the power. It reminds me of Jed Jerko. Jed Jerko always struggled coming off the bench, but when you would start Jed Jerko, he would actually go through a stretch where he played pretty well. He reminds me a little bit of that, but of course, different body types, different players, much better defensively than Sosa. And in terms of like defense, I think Sosa is just as good as Paul DeYoung is defensively. I mean, we saw the diving play last night. That's a play you would see Paul DeYoung make, and he hasn't had really any missteps yet. So I think he can be your shortstop. Now, to Alex's point of, I don't know if you want to end the year with him there. I think you can end the year with Edmundo Sosa being your shortstop, but you can go into next season with Edmundo Sosa as your shortstop, as long as you have tempered expectations of what you're going to get from the position. I think the problem that we had with the Ludmies Diaz was it was like, oh, well, boy, he's he a 300 up, hitter. He's a 300 hitter. He's going to hit 20 to 30 home runs. I was he's acting be like this guy's a 10. Hall of Famer. I know. But that's, he but was that's your number we, two hole hitter. Like, yeah. all this, he was just, it's very different. But that's I'm the expectations you. you put on a shortstop because look at the position as a whole across Major League Baseball. It's where some of the best hitters are. Like, we, we talk about Xander Bogarts. The guy is leading the American League in batting average, and he has the most hits in the American League. That's not going to be Sosa. You have to be fine with the production you're going to get. Your expectation is, you know, he's going to go out there, he's going to play great defense, and he's going to be a good spark plug for the team. He's going to hit eight or nine in your order. And honestly, you can take that at shortstop if he's going to do that every single day. And I think we do that in St. Louis because you know there's nothing coming up in the minors. Like Mason wins there, but he's got four years before you'd even consider him a major league player. And like, I think we do that because you know that there's no other options at shortstop. And a lot of Cardinals fans are skeptical about John Moselock making a move to upgrade in that position. So if one guy looks good there, it's all right, we've got the shortstop of the future. Now we don't have to worry about it. And you, you fall you fall guilty to those circumstances occasionally here when it comes to finding that position that is absent for the Cardinals. I think everybody just wants hope, right? That, that's the thing is it's all about hope. Whoever, whoever the second 
guy is in line that is not struggling while you're watching the current yeah. guy struggle. Jose Martinez that, at first base. Yeah, he's the one that represents yeah. the hope. <laughs> and then when you see them get extended runway and they fail, now you're looking for the next guy again. So if Edmundo Sosa and Brendan Donovan prove to clearly not be the answers, yeah, once we get closer to the trade deadline, we're going to be looking for other alternatives. And we'll probably convince ourselves, I know I will, hey, Jose Iglesias, he's going to be their Nick Letty. Like that that's going to be the type of move that I'll convince myself of if it ends up going poorly with Edmundo Sosa. If but he's their Nick Letty, Xander Bogarts is their Justin Falk. Ooh. Oh. Those were very different seasons. Oh, um, yeah, they were. If Edmundo Sosa, though, does continue what he's done in his career as a starter, Tanner, to your point, maybe we will convince ourselves that he could be the guy. Because as a starter in his major league career, it's 85 starts. This is a small sample size. He's a 290 hitter with a 365 on base percentage with a little bit of slug as a substitution. He's a 100 hitter with a 200 on base percentage and zero career extra base hits. He's a starter. Like he's a guy that you don't bring in cold off of the bench. He has not had any success. Now, again, small sample size, it's 50 at bats. It's not a lot, but he has proven in that 50 at bat sample size. It ain't good. As a starter, though, he has been quite good for the Cardinals in his career. So I'm really curious to see what it looks like as he gets a little bit more of an extended runway and to see what that ends up meaning for him. I'm also really liking what we've seen, though, from Brendan Donovan. I don't think it's going to be a straight platoon where you see Sosa against lefties and Donovan against righties. And Ollie Marmol has said that over the weekend as well. But I do think Donovan's going to get some opportunities there at shortstop. And frankly, he deserves it after the way that he's been hitting so far this year. I I think when we talked about, I think it was last year at some point, talking about Tommy Edmond and what he could be like being that super utility guy. That's Brendan Donovan. I think that's Brendan Donovan. He's going to be a guy that you can get... uh, I don't, if they didn't have. I think they did it over the weekend. They didn't Arnado get a day on his office feet where he's mm-hmm. DH, and you can put Arnado or excuse me Donovan at third base. I think that's going to be the role of Brendan Donovan, and they'll probably give him a couple more starts at shortstop and kind of do maybe a fifty-fifty or sixty-forty split between Sosa and Donovan just to see what they have in him as well, just in case something does happen to Sosa or Sosa doesn't end up panning out. But that is Brendan Donovan. He's that super utility guy. They can go put him anywhere in the infield, and he can honestly play the corner outfield spots as well. And I think that's going to be his role. I think if like if the lineup came out today and Tommy Edmond was not in the lineup and he was DH or he just was getting a day off, the guy I would assume is there is Brendan Donovan. And that's that's perfectly fine if that's what he's going to end up being. That's kind of what my expectations were from, uh, last year when I did the team on three was I was like, you know what, he can be a utility guy. That's probably going to be his career upside. That's I don't okay. know if he's ever a that's starter. That's okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I, I remember John Mosaloc was on with Carriker and Smallman. I think it was at the end of last year. And they were kind of referencing Matt Carpenter, but they talked about it with other guys as well. It's really hard to find veterans that want to come in to play as a utility guy. So the best way to find those guys is develop them yourselves. Mm -hmm. And eventually they become successful utility players. They get the spot starts here and there. They're cheap. They're cost controlled. They're young. So they're hungry. They want the more opportunities and they're willing to play anywhere. So a guy like Brendan Donovan, that is the best case scenario. Those guys have so much value in today's game where you can play them basically anywhere. He's played first, second, short, third, and he can play in the outfield other than center. He basically can't pitch, play catcher, or center field. Everywhere else you want to start him, he's fine there. 
He might not be a plus defender at any of those spots, but he's okay. He'll get the job done. In the words of Ollie Marmel, he'll catch it and he'll throw it and it'll get the job done. And that's all we need. Someone said Edmund's also utility guy. No, no Edmund not. is a second, second baseman. baseman. And he's a gold glover. He ain't moving. And it, when you have these guys, I also need to give a lot of credit to Ollie Marmel for the way that he's gone about this. I think he's done a tremendous job so far of finding spots for guys like Donovan and Yepes to get starts. Those guys have proven that they can hit. While they're hitting, you start them. And we'll see where that ends up going. A month from now, neither of them might be hitting. Maybe they're back down in AAA. We have no idea how this is going to go. They look sustainable to me, but I don't know. But for right now, capture lightning in a bottle. While guys like Tyler O'Neill aren't hitting, when you have the struggles out there in the outfield with Dylan Carlson, and at times you've got guys that want to get their uh, days off their feet, whether it be Arenado or Goldie or whomever, yeah, those are your opportunities to get those guys starts, and he's done a really good job of that so far. So I got to give a lot of credit. This is not an easy roster when it comes to the flexibility to be able to find those spots every day, and he's done a pretty good job of it thus far. So full credit to Ollie Marmel for being able to do that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get questions and answers coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, first time to talk about the Blues. We officially know the matchup. We know when it starts. We know who it's going to be against. Blues versus Avs, and I think the national media is not giving enough credit to the Blues for their level of talent. Yeah, they're physical. They're also pretty darn skilled. We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, when you got McKinnon, Rantanen, and uh, Lanniscar, they're big guys. They're big guys. Heavy. That's a difference for me. 230-pound, 225-pound guys that can are you know really good skaters. They're strong guys. So again, it's you know you're gonna have to have good sticks and you gotta you gotta stay on the right side of them all the time because you want to be physical on them. But you're probably gonna be you know there's gonna be times where they're you're you're outmatched a little bit physically at times. Would you say wow. they're big, strong guys, Alex? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Why Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The abs are incredibly skilled. They're also pretty big and physical and, you know, have and everything strong. else that you would want from a hockey team. Like, they're, they're just really good. And it's going to be an unbelievably difficult matchup for the Blues to be able to advance. I don't think anybody would disagree with any of what I just said. They're a super skilled and talented hockey team, Alex. This is going to be tough. But when I was reading on The Athletic and they have their preview of what this series is going to be, and they had one guy that talks to a bunch of different scouts around the NHL about what they're expecting from this matchup. Here's what one of them said. Said the team that has been there versus the one trying to take that next step. It is talent versus pedigree. Of course, the Avs are the talented team. Oh, I thought the Blues were the talented team. And the Blues are the ones that have the pedigree. Been there, done that, and that's why we're all saying, hey, they've got a puncher's chance here the blues aren't some plucky underdog can i give you a couple of team stats alex but before you do that they are an underdog did you not see dom's analytics article yeah, on the 25 percent chance no right? no 15 percent chance they, in no way shape or form is a professional sport team have a 85 percent chance of winning a best of seven series it's crazy and and to be fair the abs very well may win this series that is totally in fact they should be favored to win this series i agree with that i agree with that but i'm going to give you a couple of of team stats, Alex. Okay. This is from the entirety of the regular season. I'm not doing fun with endpoints here. 
Do you know how many goals the Blues scored this year? 214. Not close. 309. <laughs> uh, damn. Any guesses <laughs> on how many goals the Colorado Avalanche, the super talented, skilled, crazy firepower offensively, how many goals they scored 304. This year? Again, the, the Blues scored 309. 304. 308. Uh, damn, I should have knew it They was were the, the same team offensively half, this year. Happened. That's over 82 games with both teams dealing with the injuries. I don't want to hear any caveats here. The Blues had every bit as much of an injury issue bug this year as the Avs did. All right, now let's go to another team stat, Alex. How many goals do you think the Blues allowed this year? Uh, hold on. No, so they th- they scored 309, and I believe their goal differential was around like a plus 40, 265. 239. Oh, How damn. many goals do you think the Avs allowed this year? 242. 232. They were basically the same team. So why am I hearing from all of these national analysts that this is a clear-cut, decided advantage from the Avs? They are both better defensively, have the better goalie. That guy apparently is a brick wall in front of the net. This Darcy Kemper, who I've seen for the last decade. I don't talk ill about Colorado players. I learned the hard way. (laughs) Never once have I heard about him as being in the Andre Vasilevsky conversation, but apparently he is. He was against the Blues last year when he was on Arizona's team, apparently. What am I missing? Like, I, I agree. The abs are good. They should be favored. The this s- is not a decided advantage. They're the sexy pick. Like, that's what it is. This is the Vegas Golden Knights from 2019, where it's just when one team is just outlandishly good. It's the Florida Panthers of the Western Conference. It's the sexy choice by everyone to go with this team. And rightfully so. Look, they've got the Kale McCars. They've got the Nathan McKinnons. They've got these players who are big, strong, tough guys that could put you in the hospital if you want to. Ask Nazem Kadri. But I, I just don't understand why it comes down to talent versus pedigree. Because, yeah, that that's a great narrative if you're going to look at this big picture But let's focus in a little bit here. How many 20-goal scores did Colorado have? Seven? Well, the Blues had nine. Like, the goaltender. Yeah, you know what? Jordan Bennington has sucked in the last couple of seasons in the playoffs. 0-7, as they say. Not anymore. 0-9 was the right number. No, it wasn't. But he looks pretty damn good in the last couple of games against Minnesota. And for me... Colorado beat a lesser opponent in the first round. The Blues went up a no team doubt. that the Blues went up against a team that any other season you could argue could make a run for the Stanley Cup with the Minnesota Wild. Now, if you want to give me the argument that the Abs have the two best players in the series and that's why they should be favored, I can listen to that. They probably have two two of the top five players in the game. Hundred percent. And I agree with all of that. If the argument is simply, well, they have Kale McCarr, they have Nathan McKinnon, that's going to be enough for them to be able to advance. Okay, I I can listen to that as the argument. I can disagree with it all I want, but that is a totally reasonable and informed way of looking at this series. It's going to be really hard for the Blues to match up with either of those two guys. But the idea, this notion that, hey, look at all of this firepower that the Avs have even beyond those two players. Man, look at the firepower the Blues had all season beyond their top two options. They have nine guys in their top nine that each scored at least 20 goals. I'm supposed to just overlook that now? Now suddenly they're this this team that can't really score. They're super physical. They grind it out. Man, when did this become the 2019 Blues again? All year I had been told by people, ah, not quite the same Blues team. Don't have the same defensive core, but man, they can score. And now suddenly they've reverted back to being the 2019 Blues again? I I just don't understand the analysis surrounding this this series. 
it's almost as if people didn't watch either of these two teams all season long. Well, and, and I just it, have too much respect for these analysts to believe that's the case. Well, and look, some analysts put this out there, but then others, like when we talked with Rick Tockett, what was that back in January where he said, if you're not thinking the Blues are a Stanley Cup contender, then you don't understand hockey. And he was right with this one. I, I just... When you look at this series compared to Minnesota series, yeah, you know what? Minnesota did not have a Kale McCarr, but Minnesota did have a Nathan McKinnon type of player in Kirill Kaprizov. What Colorado doesn't have, what Minnesota did have, was a line that individually can shut down another team's line. I don't think Colorado has a grief line that you can go up against. Now, Colorado's got better defense in terms of what Minnesota had, but Minnesota had Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot, who were much better goaltenders than Darcy Kemper. You can nitpick and pick and point out to different elements of each series, but the argument of talent versus pedigree, it's just not true going into this one because the Blues, we just saw, can play one style if you want them to, but if you open up ice, They'll beat you that way, and that's how Colorado plays. Yeah, six five seven eight O is here. Comfort service text on. We'll get to questions and answers here in about five minutes or so from the three one four guys. I think it's all about the goal expectancy that drives these conversations. The Blues have scored way more than their expected goals on the season. Colorado dominates both expected and actual goals, and the expected stats are what are used for projections. I think that is one hundred percent true. That is the argument that people will be making. When you outscore your quote-unquote expected goals all season long consistently over the course of what is now almost 90 full games, at some point I just have to say these models are missing something. And I don't know what it is. And you guys know I'm a numbers guy. I, I like looking at those things. But in baseball, like Dylan Carlson, I've heard some people talking about him having a quote unquote slow start to the season. And he was off to a slow start. But then they'll cite some of his hard hit rates. Man, he didn't hit the ball hard last year either. That he is a different kind of player. He wins differently than a lot of other guys. He is not Tyler O'Neill. The same thing is true for Tommy Edmund. Not all players that have success in the big leagues have those underlying numbers that are going to jump off the stat sheet to you. The same thing is true in hockey. Teams go about it in different ways. The Blues get really high-level goal opportunities because of their playmaking skills, because of Robert Thomas having one of the most or one of the highest rates of slot chances from his passes of any player in hockey. That changes the numbers. It changes the expected goals, or at least it should, but apparently those aren't in line with what he's actually doing. So I just I think the models are missing something on the Blues. That doesn't mean they're going to win. I'm picking them in seven, but it doesn't mean they will win this series. But it should mean that this is not some ass kicking that we're about to watch. It should. We'll see. The games have to be played. The abs are really good. But some of these numbers that I'm seeing, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. It, on moneypuck.com, I, I thought I looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but didn't the Blues lead Colorado in terms of expected goals? I don't know. I haven't looked. I thought that that's what it was at the end Every, of the season. That's the other thing is everybody has a different. They all have different yeah. models. So money puck will show you one thing. Natural stat trick will show you another. Yeah. Dom's model has another. So it just depends what your inputs are. And the your blues, outputs are only as good as your inputs. And the blues go off of a completely different uh, stats website than what everyone else uses. Like it, everything is so subject yeah. to opinions when it comes to these series. But that's where I just get so frustrated is when you sit there and say it's an 85 to 15 percent chance because these two teams are not that dissimilar. Like it's not one team overwhelmingly better than the other. It's these two teams. Colorado's got the edge. There's no question. But the Blues are right there with them. And if you think that that's not true, you're just not watching. Here's my question to you, Alex, because we got into this by talking about how they're they are. 
the Avs are a stronger, bigger team. That's what Craig Burby said than what people would expect. Yeah. Do you think the Blues are going to try to play with physicality against them like we saw in the first round? Or is this when we see guys like Jordan Cairo and Pavel Buchnevich and Vladimir Tarasenko and Robert Thomas? Is this when we see them really start to show their game because it's going to be a more open series than what we saw in the last I, I think it's going to be that one because I think the way that Craig Berube made that comment was I think he was basically giving you a peek behind the curtains of how they're going into this series. I think he's sitting here saying that comment was, look, you got to pick and choose your moments. You can't get all out there and try and out physical the other team. The Blues learned that lesson the hard way in game number three where they got beat by trying to do that. I think the Blues are going to pick their spots, but I think this is going to be a circumstance where they know it's going to be a track meet on both sides. Colorado likes to play pond hockey, but they also like to add a little physicality to their game. Landis Gog's not afraid to drop the gloves. Eric Johnson, who they have healthy now, is a physical guy on the back end, and then we all know with Nazem Kadri. They like to play that way, but I think that works into the Blues' favor because that's how they can open up space. Think of how they played against Minnesota in Game 5 and Game 6. They knew Minnesota was going to bring the physical play. The Blues played that boring style of, that's fine, but when you slip up and make a mistake, we will capitalize. The Blues' story of the season, one word to describe it, has been opportunistic. Blues have taken advantage of it. They're going to have to do that against Colorado, and they're going to be the ones that have to avoid the physicality because penalties will be called. And this is a series where Jordan Cairo has to thrive then. If it's going to be that open up, kind of that pond hockey style, this is that series where Jordan Cairo should thrive. This is what you, this kind of play that you saw from him early in the season. Look, he wasn't bad in the Minnesota series, but there were times where he was just bullied off of the puck, where Minnesota could just beat him off the puck and then they would just go the other way or his controller would break sometimes when he came into the uh, offensive zone. But this is the kind of series where if, if you're going to rely on that fast-paced hockey, this is where Jordan Cairo should thrive. This is where you should see the Jordan Cairo of the first half of the season. And if you get that from him and then you add on to the rest of your scoring depth, that's where that's where I look at the Blues and say there's where they're going to stand their chance. That's where they can try and take advantage of this Colorado Avalanche team and potentially steal this series from. I think mean, it starts with Jordan Kyle. Robert Thomas will be the same way. He'll be a guy that'll be uh, looking to get out there and really be moving. Vladimir Tarasenko, another. Uh, but I, I view this as a crucial series for Jordan Kyle. I think he might be. I know we talked about this going into the playoffs, but he might actually be the X factor for the Blues because if he can get back to his game of being playing quick on the rush. He. This is where he thrives. This is his kind of playing style, and it's going to be in favor of him heading into this Colorado Avalanche series. All right, we're already starting the X-Factors. We'll have seven of them before tomorrow's puck drop. <laughs> it's so interesting, man, because you look at the way that these teams are constructed. They're remarkably similar, both in terms of guys that really took their games to, to the next level this season. Like, you look at what Rantanen was this year. He had the most points on the team for Colorado, surprisingly enough. You could say the same thing this year about a Jordan Cairo, for example. He didn't end up finishing the season in that regard, but there was a point a, in time. How about a Vladimir Tarasenko, who sure. wasn't even good last year for them? Gabriel Landeskog, for them, is kind of like a Braden Shin type of presence for the Blues in terms of he's the captain. He's the guy that represents what they want to be at their core, but also they've built around him in this speed and skill type of way. So it is really interesting to me how similar these teams are. And yet, for whatever reason, we just haven't heard it being analyzed that way. If you way talk at all. bad about him, BK, they will play you big, strong, and tough, and they'll probably put you in the hospital by the end of no the series. Way. Questions and answers coming up next. I'm a big, strong guy. They don't, they don't know like my temper. They don't know what I could do. I mean, if I wanted to put someone in the hospital, I easily could. But I was just out there trying to protect my guys. We're right. 
back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Comfort Service X Live for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, in what at bat today will Nolan Arenado take one to the rib cage? I forgot about this. First one. Um, we talked about this. It. it was off camera, off the air, but uh, Ollie Marmel was asked yesterday before the game about what's going to take place with the Mets, and this is the first time they've played one another since the brouhaha the last time around. He said he basically expects nothing to happen. And I, you, I would agree with that. He was then asked, like, hey, you know, they might. They might issue warnings before the game. He said, that's fine. I'm, I'm not worried about it. So. I would agree. Like, look, what happened already happened. And I know I said going into that game where the fight actually took place, that nothing was going to happen. By now, you would imagine tempers kind of slow down. Who's pitching later on tonight? It's not Scherzer, Miles is Michaelis it? And They're going to a bullpen game. Uh, Robert Williams. So, like, the, the only time I would sit there and say, okay, maybe something happens is if Max Scherzer's on the mound in this series. I have a recommendation for the Mets. Just do not throw any lefties today. You're going up against oh, the Cardinals. you big strong guy. <laughs> Good huh? recommendation. You big strong guy. I'm excited to see him again. Yeah. Uh, Nobody knows his temper. If you're going up against the Cardinals and you throw a lefty, it's management malpractice. <laughs> I don't care how good they are. Like yesterday, you saw one of the best lefties in all of baseball. It didn't matter. I thought we were going to see a pitcher's duel, and I saw Rondon just get rocked <laughs> in the first I inning. I, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't say at the beginning of the season that I think the Cardinals should have signed Carlos Rondon. He's been excellent for what it's worth. Prior to yesterday, yesterday he allowed he was more my... runs than he had in his previous six starts combined. Oh, okay, well then I'll back it up. I said it. Yeah, he was awesome. Shh. Cardinal should have signed. Also, him. it's wrote on six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, which one is it? From Same. the six three six, Alex. How do the Blues have the worst odds to win the Stanley Cup out of anybody left in the playoffs? Because they're playing the Avalanche. <laughs> I. I, I I think I said after Pittsburgh and New York series, I said the winner of that series, I think is going to go on to the Stanley cup and represent the Eastern conference for how good those two are. I would say the same thing about this one. And that's no disrespect to Calgary or Edmonton. That's going to be one hell of a battle pun intended, the battle of Alberta. But the reason the blues are 17 to one odds, at least the last time I checked on the DraftKings app is because they're taking on Colorado. Colorado's got the best odds to win the Stanley Cup. FanDuel Sportsbook right now has a bet that you can place. Who will win the Stanley Cup? Colorado or the field? That is a real bet that you can make right now. That's why. The Avs right now, you can bet on them at plus 210 to win the Stanley Cup. So basically two to one. The field is minus 265. So you have to bet. $265 to win $100. That's the way that that works. That is overwhelmingly the favorites to win the Stanley Cup. So that's that's why it is the way it is. Blues right now, by the way, over on FanDuel, also 17 to 1. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Do you think that Villa Huso will start a game in the second round? I think it's possible. I would probably put the likelihood at like a 30% chance, but I, I mean... You, we all didn't really expect to see Jordan Bennington to play as much as he did against Minnesota. I thought maybe one game, not the way that he's performed, but I, I think when you got this Bennington version, 
I think you ride this Jordan Bennington version. And if things go south quick, that's when you turn to Billy Huso. But again, Craig Berube's not going to make the same mistake that Dean Evason did. Like, you're not going to go to an elimination game and play Billy Huso. If they go to him, it's going to be in a circumstance where they feel like they can get the Blues back into the series. Yeah, I, I'm not going to rule out the possibility of see, seeing Billy Huso. I do view it kind of like Alex, where it's more unlikely that we don't see it. Because if Biddington struggles or they go down 2-1 to one and it was a game like we saw Billy Huso had in Game 3 where you went, well, they lost like 4 or 5 nothing, but really Huso didn't play bad. The team just hung him out to dry. I could see Peruby easily going back to Billy Huso. And I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Huso ever yeah, yeah, went up against... Oh, not this season, but he's played him once. Well, that's what career. I was going to say. He hasn't gone up against Colorado this year. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about that uh, near the end of the year when they played Colorado, I think, second to last game or third to last game. Yeah, and they so. scheduled it around Billy Huso so that Colorado didn't see him. Yeah, so they could just do that if that's the case, too. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I agree with you guys on that. Final question here from the 314. Who do you think is going to win the NBA Finals this year? We're down to four. Man. Four teams remaining. The if, Warriors, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Mavs. If you had told me that those would be the four teams remaining at the beginning of the year, I would have called you insane. Phoenix but I was also, like the eclipse last night. I Ooh. also, like, that is the ideal final four in the NBA playoffs for me. Like, watching Luka against Steph in one series and watching Miami, who has stacked their team with, um, with a lot of defensive-minded players, taking on Boston with Jason. Like that is going to be an awesome series. I think it's going to come down to, I think Miami beats Boston. I do too. And I think golden state beats Dallas. And then I think it comes down to those. I, I, I toss a coin in those two. I, for what it's worth, I like a bet right now. That's over on the FanDuel sports book. You can bet on Miami to play Dallas at six to one in the finals. I'm surprised that golden state is the odds on favorite to win the title. They're at plus plus one thirty. Basically one and a half to one to win the win the NBA title. Well, they got the band back together, of course. They were not impressive in their series not. against the Grizzlies. They they were kind of lucky to advance, and Jaw didn't play the second half of that series. So I I think I would take Dallas actually straight up over Golden State in terms of the betting odds. I like them. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it'll be Miami versus Golden State. I, I tend to agree. See, I, I like Boston over Miami. I like them in seven. And then I like Golden State over Dallas in six. And then I've got Boston over Golden State in six as well. Yeah, Miami I, just, they stacked their team in the offseason. I just think Boston is so good. You mentioned Miami's defense. Boston was the best in the regular season defensively. Yeah. And you've got Tatum who can put up 30. You've got uh, Jalen Brown that can do the same. And they've gotten pretty good production from Grant Williams as well. I think we were talking last night at the game. He, he led them in scoring in game seven. Who would have seen man. that? He's so, a really good player. Who's their, I like Boston. Um, is Al Horford still their player for Boston? Is he still their center? Yeah, so, he's like in and out with. I Robert was going to say because their because their center matching up against um, Adebayo is going to be that's going to be the fun matchup for me because that man is just a Bam's got to have a good series. Yeah, for, he for is a terror underneath that basket. Bam and Jimmy have to be the ones that get them to the next. And round. Oladipo. I mean, they, you got to have him knocking down shots, and they need heroes. To knock down to be a hero, you were gonna say it, weren't you? Yeah, you were 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 totally. I don't want to go with that pun. You were like, I'll let Alex do it. I appreciate it, buddy. In or out coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, the Cardinals' offense is not going to find any consistency until Tyler O'Neill gets going. And Ali Marmol had a quote of the day yesterday on Tyler O'Neill. We'll let you hear that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm betting on O'Neal being being O'Neal. Uh, he's had a decent amount of stuff going on over the last couple weeks slash month that have allowed him to just 
it served as somewhat of a distraction. Uh, we're past that. And I feel like these two days, my hope is that he comes out, one, with some urgency. Um, and I think he has uh, clarity to what he's doing. And uh, we get what we, we know we can get out of him. Yeah. But if I was, a, I was to bet, I, I, I'm betting on him. That was Ollie Marmel prior to the game yesterday, basically saying, hey, listen, this is 48 hours. Tyler O'Neill's going to clear his head. And I thought it was interesting at the end of that game, Alex, the Cardinals cleared their bench. They had nobody else available other than Tyler O'Neill. They got all of their starters that are everyday players basically out of the game, so much so that Albert Pujols, of course, was on the mound for them. Tyler O'Neill still did not get into the game. I like that because it tells you Ali Marmol was sincere when he said, You like that? We are going to have 48 hours where he's just going to be able to do his own thing, not have to worry about anything going on in game. And today he's expected to be in the lineup. And Alex, this Cardinals team is not going to reach its full potential until he starts getting back to the player that he was last year, or at least closer to that guy. So far this season, he's batting 195 with a 250 on base percentage. You look at some of the other numbers, like the the walk rate, the strikeout rate, they're fine. He's just not hitting for power. He's not hitting the ball as hard as he did a year ago. And until he does, you're going to see things where the Cardinals go from scoring 2, 2, 4 to 15. They need that third guy. You, you always mentioned this is the closest thing that the Cardinals have had to the MV3 since then. Yeah, I regret uh, th- they that need, comment. They need that third guy available to them. Right now, you've got two that are hitting really well in Goldie and Arenado. You need that third in the middle of your order. And my question for you guys is, does this concern you at all that they're doing this with Tyler O'Neill? Because I, I, I heard Ollie's comments about that, and it made me think of two guys, Dylan Carlson and Paul DeYoung. And I thought it was interesting because it's the opposite ends of the spectrum. Dylan Carlson, since he was sat for those couple of games so that they could focus on him and just get away from the game, has he been fantastic? No, but he looks better than what he did prior to that. He looks like last year Dylan Carlson. And yeah. then you do Paul DeYoung where they did it and it didn't get any better and they had to send him down to AAA. I'm starting to lean closer towards the Paul DeYoung side of things. And I was talking about this with a buddy yesterday and he said, is, is Tyler O'Neill was last year, just a fluke. And that's what I'm starting to get worried about here. It's hard for me to believe that though, because he wasn't just boomer bust last year. He turned into a guy who was hitting consistently and getting on base. And he looked like he changed his approach. So I'd like to to lean more towards the Dylan Carlson, but man, it just starts to really worry, worry me that if this doesn't work for O'Neill, he might end up on the Paul DeYoung route where they say, we got to send him down to Memphis. And I just don't think that's going to be good. I, I, and I honestly don't know if they would send him down to Memphis. I, I think they have, because of what happened with Tyler O'Neill last year, where you had the breakout and he hit for the average that you're talking about. I don't know if they would send him down to Memphis because Paul DeYoung, you had a three-year track record where he just wasn't hitting the ball. Tyler O'Neill, this is going to be the first year coming off of a, a season or career best, excuse me, uh, so I don't think they would send him down to Memphis, but I do have a little bit of that concern. Remember, I, you, we talked about a contract extension for Tyler O'Neill, and he just went through the arbitration process and got his uh, payment. I, I I did not want to hand him a contract extension because I wanted to see him do it for a second year and be consistent with that. Now, granted, I didn't know if he would be able to repeat what he did last year, but I thought he'd be a little bit closer than just completely falling back off the spectrum. So do I have a little bit of concerns about that? Yes, I do, but... 
I, I think this 48 hours, this will be the last test for him in terms of, okay, was this the final one? We're not going to be doing any more quote-unquote work days for Tyler O'Neill. He has to turn it around after this one. And last year he had the slow start too. We, we always point out, you know, well, he hit 288 and he had the 30 home runs, 34 home runs and 80 RBIs. It didn't start that way for Tyler O'Neill. I, I don't think if Tyler O'Neill gets hurt last year, and this is a weird thing to say, if he doesn't get hurt last year and goes on the I.L. for 10 or 15 days, however long he was out, I don't think you see that season from Tyler O'Neill last year because he mentally was able to reset everything and then come back from the I.L. and just take off from there. I don't think you're going to be seeing that this year because I hope he doesn't get hurt and that's the case. But hopefully this 48 hours is that jumping off point. And honestly, this is the last chance he's got for that jumping off point. Because if not, I don't know if it's going to get turned around this season. I really don't. It's going to be hard to turn around if he continues to struggle after another workday. And the Cardinals can't continuously be doing this with Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, I, I think somebody on the text line mentioned this from the 618. Guys, the loudest part of that quote was Tyler's been going through some stuff, which was clearly a reference to the arbitration process being a huge distraction for them. Totally agree. It, right now, you've got an explanation for why Tyler O'Neill has not been able to get back on track. And the explanation for it is he's been dealing with this arbitration stuff in the background. He didn't want to have to deal with that during the season. And Major League Baseball, because of the lockout in the offseason, had to start dealing with that during the regular season. That's over now. He's done. He doesn't have to worry about it any longer. That stops being an explanation and starts being an ex- excuse here within the next couple of weeks. If things don't get back on track for Tyler O'Neill, probably by the end of the month, I think that's a fair runway here for him. Then eventually that becomes an excuse the same way it was for Paul DeYoung with all of the things that we've talked about over the last few years. Those were fair explanations in the moment. Eventually, though, you got to start producing. And right now with Tyler O'Neill, he's just, man, it's pretty simple with him. He just isn't hitting the ball hard. Like some of these guys, you can say, hey, it's this, it's that, it's that. Tyler O'Neill, in terms of what he's doing, everything looks the same as it has been when it comes to pitch selection, the way teams are pitching him, all of these different things. It's all basically the same, except for the way that he is making contact with the baseball. It's just not coming off of the bat the same way. And I don't know why. I can't explain it. But he needs to get that figured out. And if he does, he'll be fine. He's got to get that. But the launch angle's a little down. He's hitting the ball on the ground a little bit more often than he did a year ago, and he's not hitting it at the same velocity as he did previously. If he gets those two things figured out, he gets his swing figured out just a little bit. The timing, I think, is probably the biggest issue for him right now as opposed to an issue within his swing. If you can do those things, he'll be all right. And I still believe you asked your buddy asked, was that a fluke? I don't think it was. I think Tyler Roney is a really talented baseball player. But right now he's going through it. And the question is, can he get back on track? I don't know. I guess my biggest concern with this, and I know it's only a small sample size, and we talked about both of them, because other than the Paul Goldschmidt's who went through it a little bit at the beginning of the season, but the guy's a veteran, you expect him to get out of it. Paul DeYoung and Dylan Carlson, we haven't seen two of those three find a way to really turn it around when they looked off. Like Dylan Carlson, yeah, he's gotten better, but I still think there's, there's a little concern there. And Paul With Carlson, De- I have yeah. zero concern right now. About I, I just, I, I don't He's know. Over 800 OPS since the start of May, so I've lost my concerns for Dylan yeah. Carlson. So I, I guess that that kind of solves it because I was just going to say like those two haven't really corrected it. But if Carlson has, then you got one of two options. There were one wasn't able to correct it, and the other one has. Because like you look up and down this lineup, Arenado's been Arenado, 
Goldie is back to himself. He's got quietly a 395 on base percentage right now with a 500 slug. Goldie's been awesome. (laughs) He's literally back to the same player that he was a year ago. Which is like every time people question Goldie at the beginning of the season, it's like, what are we doing? You know know the guy's going to be fine. I pretend he's not in the lineup until the next month. For for Carlson's numbers, and they're not going to jump out at you, but as you mentioned, Tanner, the last two and a half weeks now, he's been great. Tommy Edmond's been awesome since the beginning of the season. Like, the guy that wasn't able to get back on track was DeYoung, and I don't think that's a hitting coach issue. I think that's a DeYoung issue. And then you look at Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. And, and if you can get him going, man, this offense suddenly looks like it's all right. Like it, it really does come down to do you get 2021 version of Tyler O'Neill or do you get 2020 version of Tyler O'Neill? And that's going to determine the ceiling for this team. Absolutely. Like, it really is that simple. It, it's not about the shortstop situation. It's not about Tommy Edmond or Nolan Gorman. Forget all of that stuff. The guy that changes this lineup is Tyler O'Neill. And if you get him back to who he was a year ago, as Ollie Marmel said, you're good. If you don't, this offense is going to be looking for more answers. And, and to your point, you know, you mentioned he's just getting under everything. He's also struggling against breaking pitches, which was yeah. old Tyler O'Neill. If he can make get back to what he did last year, look, he wasn't great against breaking pitches. He was solid against breaking pitches last year where he hit uh, 238 against him. This year he's hitting just 162. That That's the biggest thing now is not only he's getting under the ball, but if he starts reading breaking pitches a little bit better out of the hand, he just starts hitting them just a little bit better, you're going to get seeing the Tyler O'Neill of old because he's hitting fastballs pretty well. He's still hitting two, uh, 50, or 269 against fastballs. So he's not doing well against sinkers. Fine. Sinkers is where um, some of his power is not there the way that it was a year ago. Um, so that's something worth monitoring. He hears what you're saying, T-Bone, but I you're wrong. Him. I heard him. Wait, I mix those up. It's the four seams. Four seams up. No comment. Yeah, we're out, BK. <laughs> Come up in 15 minutes. How do the Blues handle Kale McCarr? I hear everything that people are saying about Nathan McKinnon. That's all fine and dandy. They just went up against a guy that they were able to shut down when it comes to the forwards slowdown uh, in Kirill Kaprizov. Kale McCarr is a different animal, though. How do you do that? We'll do that in 15 minutes. In or out, coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Let's play a game of in or out. All right, Tanner just brought this to our attention. A gentleman on Twitter, over on the FanDuel Sportsbook, for what it's worth. No, I thought it was the DraftKings. Put it's together a four-leg parlay. Shut. Said this was in November, Tanner. Yeah, November twenty-fifth is when he yeah. placed this bet. He bet a total of ten dollars on Georgia to win the national championship in football, the Rams to win the Super Bowl. KU men's basketball to win the title and Golden State to win the NBA championship. Now, if he wins this bet, he's got the first three legs of the parlay. The last one that he needs is Golden State, six to one there in the Western Conference Finals right now. If he wins this bet, he wins $17,640. Wow. It's all based on this Golden State team winning the title. Now, FanDuel. They do this where they offer you, if you cash out now, you can win X amount of dollars. And based on what he's got and the odds to win the title for Golden State, they would give him $5,300 right now for his $10 bet. Now, again, you're giving up potentially $12,000 if you cash out today. All you need is Golden State to win the title to be able to get that. 
in or out you would cash out today for that five grand, Alex? T-Bone, what do I always tell you? Scared, Scared money, money don't, don't make money. money. Stay and that's why I've lost money. The blank in. It's $10. Ten dollars, five grand. Yeah, understandably <laughs> so. But Golden State's got a pretty darn good shot at winning this whole thing, and that's an extra twelve grand that you Oof. could be reeling in. So uh, I'm staying in on this one. Scared money don't make money. See, I think I would stay in this through the Western Conference Finals because I think they're definitely better than Dallas. And then it just depends who comes out of these. Because I think Golden State could beat Miami. I'm not sure they can beat Boston. I, I just that heavily of a fan of Boston and view them as the best team right now still left. So I would probably wait out and then I might cash out if they get to the finals. But at that point, I mean, you're just four games away. So, yeah, but I, w- so, I would cash out. I think I would not cash out yet. I think you got to ride this thing. Cause you, golden state is a significant favorite right now against Dallas. So you got to You've just got to hold out hope. If you, if you believe they could win the title, now you got to hold out hope that they can win four games against the Dallas Mavericks. Once you get to the title, that's where things get really interesting because they're probably going to offer you 10 grand. Then I'd get out. So here's what you do. Oh, that's the difference well, maker for you. I'd rather try and go for 12 extra grand than seven extra grand. So I'll get out after that. Here's what you do. If you get to that point, you hedge. If you get to the NBA finals and I know like Stalter is probably yelling at his radio right now. Never hedge. Never hedge. Scared money. Don't make money. Stoltz believes it. If you get to the NBA Finals and Golden State's there, you bet $10,000 on whoever comes out of the East. And that guarantees on a $10 bet, you at least make yourself 10 grand. Well, sorry, we don't have Peloton money that can bet $10,000. You piece this thing together. You take some out of your 401k. What is he you're talking taking about some here? out of your retirement fund. Like, you, this guy's be working you've forever. got a college fund that you set aside for that your daughter, just, Alex. You take some out of there. That just sounds like you're scared. And what do I always say? Scared money don't make money. Yeah, well, I'm guaranteeing I'm winning at least no, 10 grand. That's, that's scared is what that is. And T-Bone, don't follow that rule. I'm... That sounds like a terrible rule. Because you still allow yourself the out of potentially getting the 17. And then you have won seven grand there. So, if they don't win, now you've got the uh, the potential so, to win 10 grand. Someone well. texted in, except in this case, scared money would actually make $4,990. <laughs> I don't believe it. Scared money don't make money. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. All right, in or out, the Cardinals should trade Nolan Gorman for a top shortstop. Sander Bogarts. <laughs> wonder who they're talking about. Yeah, wonder who we're going with here. Maybe Trey Turner. Uh, I'll say I'm in on it. I just, I don't know where Nolan Gorman's going to fit in with everything. And I'm starting to wonder if the guy turns into Tyler O'Neill here, where we're visibly upset if he's struggling at the major league level. And I, I get it that you don't want to re-sign him for the amount of money he wants. And he's a liability at shortstop. But my God, having that bat in the middle of your order on top of everyone right now. I'd say I'm in on it. I'd say I'm in on it, too, because, one, I don't know what the fit exactly still is for Nolan Gorman. I have a vision of what it is, but it doesn't sound like that's how the Cardinals view it. It ain't. Two, I understand that it's not going to be much of a defensive upgrade at shortstop, but his bat is going to be such an offensive upgrade that I can outweigh that. And three, I get to keep a gold glover at second base and Tommy Edmund, and I don't have to move him and downgrade defensively at two spots. I remain elite at second base. So, yeah, I'm in on this. I, if that's the offer it takes to get him, I, w- I would pull the trigger. And Xander Bogarts has opened up the uh, extension conversation in the middle of the season. Maybe you trade for him and you sign him. Yeah, that ain't happening. <laughs> um, God, he's, he's such a downgrade defensively, but my God, is he good offensively. 
in case people haven't seen what Xander Bogarts has done to start out this season, he's batting 350. Ah, yeah, we don't want that on the team. I mean, yes, I would trade for Xander Bogarts, and I would give basically whatever it takes. I would also be a stupid general manager to do so. Like, you're trading six years of club control for four months of club control. But and where's he playing, BK? I know, but it it's asset management at that point, right? Like, I could give you 15 grand for a card that's worth five, but it's probably not smart. I could use that 15 grand on something else. Ah. I don't have to spend that money. It's not burning a hole in my pocket. And that's basically, in this case, what Nolan Gorman is. But I, I would love to see Xander Bogarts in a, in a Cardinals uniform. And I understand I'm the guy that says you got to have defense. You got to have defense. If you've got a gold glover at first, second, and third, I can have a little bit of a downgrade at short. My argument has always been don't make yourself worse at second and shortstop. But do you want to win a World Series within yeah, the next yeah, couple of, of years? Or do you want to say maybe we can win it in six years? That's the biggest question. It's a fair point. Because if you don't know where Nolan Gorman's going to fit in and Xander Bogarts, who is batting 350 right now, can help you, why don't you try and make a we, push at this point? We get to the playoffs, anything can happen. Okay. Yeah. That's what we said forever. last year. Flags, Flags fly, fly forever. forever. 65780 is your comfort service axon from the 636. Twister. In Scary or out, mode. the St. Louis Blues will win game one in Colorado. I think they lose game one for what it's worth. I think I'm actually going to say I'm in on this one because I think they'll treat game one no. in this like they treat the game one in Minnesota. I mean, Colorado's been sitting around for seven days. Blues have been sitting around for four, so it's not that much of a difference. We mentioned the rust for both sides yesterday, but um, I, I think the Blue, the Blues just notoriously seem like that team that can come out of the gate that you're not expecting them to come out with some firepower. So I'll say I'm in on this. I'm out on this. I'm going to go with some like recent history. When they, they had kind of the same conversation last year, where it was they had plenty of time off after their first round sweep of the Blues. What they come out? They came out and they really took it right to Vegas right off the bat, and they won the first two games. Now then they lost the next four, but yeah. I, I think you're going to see Colorado come out with a big sense of urgency, knowing, hey, we've got to set the tone for this series if we're going to be the team that we're going to live up to the hype and go towards the Stanley Cup with our 80% chance of that. So I think that can hurt them too, though. It could, but I, I just view Colorado as such an elite team. Like I think this is the year they actually get over the hump, so I think they'll come out and win game one, and then we'll really be talking about game two. Can I ask one follow-up question Please? for this in and out before you answer? Is the BK and Ferrario bump happening for game one? Oh, I forgot about that. Guys, if the BK and Ferrario bump is happening. Now, T-Bone's not dressing up for a funeral. We got to wait no, till we no, get no. deeper into the series. I, I, may not even, I may not even wear pants for game one. I'd prefer you to do that. Sure oh, that. <laughs> please, please do, actually. I thought we were building up nope, the draft. No, no. Not, okay. not that direction. Sorry. So, Take that into consideration before you answer that, BK. If the BK and Ferrari will bump we're is on game one. pizza, right? <laughs> why don't we worry about getting you guys here first? We were on game one for well, the pizza, Minnesota here. series, right? Mm-hmm. And there's what? a shutout. Give the, give, by who? So it wasn't even a goalie by give, the end. Give the people what they want, BK. This is not going to help with the beta male things. Um, I've got to talk to my wife first. <laughs> oh, that's definitely <laughs> not going to help. Yeah. I uh, I don't know if the T-bone and Ferrari bump happens for it, but I guess we'll find out. If you guys on the text line, 65780, can in. convince my wife to allow me. i tell you what, I'll convince her with our junk drawer segment one? today. Do we do we need like yeah. to come up I'm with in. an excuse or we just like have to like sell this like it's a bag of goods? <laughs> what, what bag of goods is happening? I don't know, man. Can't uh, do that. 
I, you know what? Since we're probably doing game one, yeah. together, oh man, Blues win there game one. It's official. BK and Ferrari will bump for game one. He didn't even check with his wife. Order the pizza now. He uh, knows it is. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service next slide for in or out. A couple more here quickly. In or out. Alex Reyes is throwing his last pitch for us for the St. Louis Cardinals. Out. Did you hear this yesterday, yep. man? Oh, God, this sucks for. It does for suck, Reyes. but I, I I still say I'm out. I, I think I think. Part of me wonders if it's like a little Michael Waka esque where at the end of the season, maybe playoffs, that's where you get to see the guy. Like, I wonder if the timeline for him was, hey, focus on the end of the season. I don't know that he's going to pitch again this year. I I am not rooting for this. I want to make that very clear. I like Alex Reyes, and my God, is he fun to watch whenever he's on. And the dude has just battled through adversity his so entire much, career. From start to finish. I think there's a real chance that he ends up getting non-tendered this offseason. And I hope it doesn't happen. I'm rooting for him, and I think he's going to be good somewhere eventually. I do. He's got too much talent not to be. But yesterday, the update, if you haven't heard, um, he had a setback with his shoulder. They didn't know if it was the same thing or not, but but he got an MRI, and he's getting a second opinion. Oh, now I I miss that. Second opinions are tough, man. Some people will tell you they always get a second opinion. I understand that. All he also said, this is very discouraging. Yeah. Um, I, at least in hockey, man, when you hear that they're going to get a second opinion, that tells you worst case scenario. I, I don't, I think that there's a a good chance he has thrown his last pitch in a Cardinals uniform. And that that sucks. sucks. I I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I've never rooted for anything more than me being wrong on this. Yeah, it it sucks. But I, I agree with you. I, I I think he has pitched his last pitch for the Cardinals because this views feels like where he's going to get non-tender next season, especially if he doesn't pitch this year. And even if he does, and it's only like one or two appearances, even then they may still do it because he's going to have to get a pay raise. He's at $3 million now. You bump him up a little bit more, and they may just say it's not worth throwing out an extra couple thousand dollars towards him, and they may uh, non-tender. It reminds me a lot of the John Brebby one where it was came off of Tommy John, but you had to technically give him a pay raise. And you know they what? Said, That's a good well, landing a great spot comp, for him, We can't do it. Yeah, San, San Francisco. Francisco. Can I give you guys one, too, before we wrap up? Please. In or out, this is the best setup of games in the NHL playoffs that we've seen in a long time. You got Blues in, the you got Blues in Colorado, you got Carolina in New York, and you got the Battle of Alberta and Battle of Florida. This might be the most entertaining matchups we've had in the playoffs in a really long time. Pretty darn good. I think you got the best teams remaining. That's that's the most important part to me. Is it's I funny think the too, best got, teams all advance. You got one and three in the Central. I think you've got one and three in the in the Atlantic, one and two in the Pacific, and one and two in the Metro. So like they're very similar in every way, shape, and form of this series. Yeah, I'll be I'll be in on this. I, I can't remember another time where I looked back and said, yeah, these matchups compared to this. It's so gonna be fun, man. It, it will be fun, especially like the East. We talked about it heading into round one. Everybody in the East has over a hundred points, oh, no. and you're getting even the guy people that have more than the hundred points by like 105 plus. Now. And in that battle of Florida, you're legitimately getting two teams that hate each other. Yeah, that's the one. I kind of wish Toronto advanced. Oh, I don't. I love the story. I like the fact it, that so. they can't get out of the first round within the last 20 years. That's, I'm that's here for the chaos. only one that I'm like ah. I wish we had them still in the playoffs, but otherwise, like you got stars all over the place, man. This this is a star-studded second round of the playoffs. Absolutely. That's for damn sure. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, Alex has a junk drawer story for us today. But coming up next, speaking of stars, the Blues are going up against a few of them in this series. Kale McCarr though is at the top of the line when it comes to what the Blues have to figure out to be able to advance. How do they do it? What's the game plan against him? We'll talk about that next here on One Hundred and One ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talked in the series about taking Kaprasov away as much as possible in certain areas. Like, you got to do it to a D-man that's a little different. It's not something that's normal, I, I, in my opinion. It's unnormal. We're going to have to be above McKinnon and, and do a good job on him through neutral zone and coming out of the, their D zone. And it's kind of like similar to Makar. He's always up the ice. He's always doing something up the ice and with a puck. So we're going to have to be tight on him. We're going to have to really be tight on him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley, you don't get that kind of breakdown on individual players from Craig Berube very often. He loves Kale McCarr. Like that's what I heard in that in that return back is he thinks that Kale McCarr is a truly special type of player. I mean, the dude almost scored 30 goals this season as a defenseman, and it's really hard to disagree with him. He had 86 points. He was a plus 48 on the ice this year. Sounds like he wasn't very good defensively. Should have been a plus 88. Kale McCarr in 14 games in his career against the Blues has five goals, 12 assists, is a minus three somehow, and has three game-winning goals in, in those 14 career games against St. Louis. Alex, we can talk all we want until we're blue in the face about what the Blues do against Landeskog and McKinnon and Rantanen and... Kadri, all those guys are going to be tough matchups, no doubt about it. But the Blues have gone up against skilled and talented forwards before. They ain't seen nobody like this in the playoffs. This guy is a different animal. How do you, if you can, how do you slow him down? Man, uh, finish your checks on him. But here's the problem. You got to make sure you actually hit him. He is such a good skater that he can elude hits like nobody's business. And Craig Berube, who's just speaking moments ago with the media out at morning skate over at uh, Centene, uh, he basically said, we're going to have to finish our checks and grind them down. And I think that's how you're going to beat a Kale McCarr in this series. And I kind of comp it and look, they're not the same player because this defenseman is nowhere near Kale McCarr. But I comp it to how the Blues did against Quinn Hughes in the bubble. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> oh, no. That, that, <laughs> that to me, wasn't fun. <laughs> but that, to me, is worst-case scenario. Because, and granted, like I thought Quinn Hughes had better points than what he did in that game. He only had four assists in that series against the Blues. Right? I thought, really? Yeah, I thought he had more points against the Blues. He only had four points. And... Uh, but the way that they were that's, on it, that's one of the most shocking statements you've ever said. <laughs> the way that they were able to shut him or the way that they weren't able to shut him down. That's how things can go south for you against Kale McCarr. Like you cannot, you cannot do the cliche saying of up, just let him do his business and uh, you know, we'll stop him in, in the net. No, you're going to have to find a way to limit his puck possession time. And I think there's two ways to do it. One, you finish the checks on him, but two, you make sure he doesn't have the puck. It's kind of how uh, players and look, 34 of his 86 points came on the power play. So he's a power play lethal weapon out there. You might have to treat him on the power play. Like people treat Alex Ovechkin on the power play. You're just going to have to have to, you're going to have to have somebody shadow him. But, you, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to stop that player because he's going to find ways. He's going to find ice. It's just a matter of making sure that you limit those high danger chances to a minimum. Yeah, 65780 is your comfort service text line uh, from the 618. Guys, the Blues have to play Colorado as a team, not pay, any atti- not pay too much attention to any one player. 
There's some truth to that. Yes. But there are certain players that are just a little different than everybody else. And Kellen Carr is that guy. The problem is, like, you can do things, Alex, to your point, that make it more difficult to a forward to be able to beat you at the net. There's things you can do defensively to be able to do that. We saw that, I think, in, in some ways against, it, in the words of some, Kaprasov, or otherwise known as Kaprizov. Um, Kaprizov. There's not a whole lot, based on what I understand, and maybe Jamie will have a better um, breakdown of this coming up from 2 to 6 today on the fast lane. Not a whole lot you can do against a guy like Kale McCarr, who's going to be at the blue line. With his skating skills, his shooting skills, his puck-moving skills, like that. It's almost impossible to shut this kind of player down. You know how you treat it. You got to keep the front of the net clear. That's going to be the one way that you can limit Kale McCarr because the way he scores his goals are a lot of screens in front because he's got such a dangerous shot and it's not an Al McKenna slap shot. It's one of those. Honestly, it's kind of like how Scott Perunovic shoots it. They're, they're low to medium level shots that are looking for deflections in front of the net, but you're also looking for the Landeskogs, the Ranson and the McKinnons, what he just talked about of how big their guys are, the Nachushkins, the Burakovskis. They're looking to take the eyes away from the goaltender so that he can take those shots. That's going to be the biggest that's going to be the biggest task for this Blues team is in front of their own net. And that was our big question all year long, right? Like, do the Blues have the ability with their current defensive core to be able to clear that front of the net? And now I think this is the series where we find out the question all year long. Is this the fatal flaw? Yeah. Is this going to be the thing that gets them pushed out of the playoffs? This is the series where it could happen. I think you could you could be able to make it through. Calgary, you could be able to make it through Edmonton, even despite that flaw. If that continues, though, against Colorado, and we didn't see it a whole lot in, in against Minnesota. They, they did pretty well, all things considered, in that series uh, defensively in front of their net. This is the series where the other team can really take advantage of it if you're not careful. Who's the guy or guys in your mind, Alex, that have to be able to step up if they're going to get away with it? For the Blues? Yeah. Honestly, Nick Letty and Colton Pareko. They're going to have to do exactly what they did to Minnesota, their top line. And some of this is going to come down to Ryan O'Reilly. I, I mean, the texture is absolutely correct. A lot of this is going to come down to a five-man unit. I mean, it's going to be just as impactful for the Blues to create offense as it is to them getting back and back-checking and limiting the amount of odd-man rushes. You cannot turn the puck over. You cannot take penalties. And honestly, you cannot allow that transition game to happen so quickly. The way that the Blues play is how the Avalanche play. Transition through the neutral zone, pucks out of their zone quickly. If the Blues can find a way to stop that play in the new, honestly, it's the way that teams have played the blues at times. You know how they've stood them up at the red line yep. and stacked that red line. That's going to be how you're going to have to play Colorado. And Bennington's going to have to do what he did against Minnesota against Colorado in terms of moving the puck behind his net. You stop the cycle game when you can do that. If they're dumping and chasing, how do you think the lines match up while we're in Colorado? I would imagine the Landeskog line goes up against O'Reilly Perron and oh, Shin. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. Do you, who do you think they put the McKinnon line against? Uh, I would bet they probably want to see that against I would think no, Harvey, Sod, no. and Kairu. See, oh, see, I forgot about this because they broke up the Landeskog. They got Nachushkin playing with McKinnon and Ranson, and that's going to be O'Reilly's line. 
that's going to be O'Reilly will be matching up against Nathan McKinnon. You think? Yeah. And so I would but, imagine. But I'm talking about while we're in Colorado, they get to dictate the, the matchups while you're out there. I, but I think Barubi's going to do what he did with Minnesota in game five, where it was short shifts. If you see that line get out on the ice, you're going to have to find a way to get Let's off Let's go quickly. based on what the Colorado Avalanche want, though. We'll, we'll so, get to that while oh, we're okay. here in, so in St. If, Louis. If what Colorado would want, yeah. I would imagine you want McKinnon's line probably against um, that Barbashev, Barbashev line. line. Yeah, because you're going to go speed there. Uh, and then Landis Scott probably against O'Reilly. I think you actually, if you're Colorado, first, the first game, you might want McKinnon against O'Reilly because speed is going to be able to out. Brantonen and McKinnon are very fast players. Their speed can get O'Reilly off of his heels. I think they might be underestimating. Best on best. How, yeah, but I think they might be underestimating how good defensively Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron is. But I, w- I think the exploitation for... Colorado is going to be Landeskog, Kadri, and uh, the player that they got from uh, Montreal. Lekkonen? Yeah, Lekkonen. That's going to be the mismatch. They're going to try and get them out there against Robert Thomas's line. You're going to go defensive efficiency or inefficiency against a line that's big. Like, I don't know if Colorado can see a line that can handle Gabriel Landeskog in front of the net. You think they put them against Thomas or Barbie's line? I think the they put him line. against Thomas because I think that third line they're going to look at him is a mismatch also also with Barbashev, Sod, and um, Jordan Cairo, and I think that's how the Blues can exploit Colorado in games one and games two with that's, that Cairo line. That's the one that Cairo's line with Sod and Barbie. If the Blues are going to win this series, they have to yeah. be they have to be the line that shows up in a big way. Barbashev's got to be better, dude. He got to win faceoffs, and him. you cannot turn the puck over against this team like that. If there's two things that I will walk away from tomorrow night's game saying, man, the Blues needed to be better here. If they lose, is going to be penalties and turning the puck over. Man, I. I think by the end of that game, I know I mentioned this in the last one and we didn't end up seeing it. it didn't matter. Barbie and Shin, if Shin can play center, I, I would not be surprised if those guys flip spots at some point because you might need Shin to be that yeah. responsible centerman for Kairou and Saad. And, and I could see it happening, although they did their skates today and uh, they have the same the, lines. Yeah, the same but, ones. I mean, I could see it where they look at Barbashev and say, hey, we'll put speed with McKinnon's line to get some defense. But I just don't think you're going to change much for how good that offense played in the last three games against Coming Minnesota. up in 10 minutes or so, apologize for cutting you off there. <laughs> We're going to be joined Matching by up. Katie Wu, the Cardinals insider for the Athletic. Alex has a junk drawer story for us next. Maybe. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. I'm sorry for cutting you off, buddy. Hey, man, don't apologize to me. Apologize to the listeners. You sound rude to them. Are you going to keep cutting me off again? I won't stand for it anymore. I'm just going to keep talking. What do you have for us today, buddy? Let me get my camera out. We can have record you guys fighting. We'll put on the TikTok. Uh, How's your relationship with uh, the in-laws? Dude, again, really? Oh, my God. Wait, wait. I don't have my camera ready. Okay, go ahead and punch him now. BK, how's your... BK, how's your uh, how's your relationship with the in-laws? Uh, pretty good. I, as far as I am aware, seems to be pretty okay. good. They did have to deal with them for how long did you live in their house? Well, things might yeah. get a little worse for you guys. Now, okay. I don't know how Keith and uh, Mrs. Keith feel. I don't. What's her What's her name? I don't think we've ever talked I, about uh, her on the radio before. I'm starting to wonder where this story is Kara's going mother. already. Kara's so mother. We'll, we'll call her Kara's mother. Well, apparently there's a uh, family in Wisconsin that uh, there's a couple that's being sued by the parents 
because the grandparents haven't given them the parents haven't given them any grandkids. It's called mental torture. And the grand, and the parents are suing the kids for six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Holy hell! Yeah, wow. Yeah. They called it. How mental, old are the kids? Uh, quote unquote. Twenty six and twenty seven. There's no way this suit wins. Wait, how right? old are you? I'm twenty nine. Okay, I was gonna say oh, you're wait, older. Than I'm them. looking at this wrong. No, sorry, they're uh, thirty two years old. Six years of marriage. Okay. So oh, they've been see, married I've for still six got another years. Five years. I don't know, I'm man. Good. Maybe, maybe Keith and Mrs. Keith are a little frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. No, they're, and they're going to sue you guys for mental torture. Six hundred fifty k. That's incredible. Six hundred fifty thousand dollars for mental torture. I mean, Katie and I waited five years, four years. So yeah, I mean, we were, were getting right close at that to it. Point, we man. were getting close to it, but hey, man. You and Kara might need to have a conversation because mental torture is a thing now, and your parent or their, uh, her parents could win six hundred fifty k for you guys mentally torturing them. See, I don't think that we're at that point. Getting sued or having kids? <laughs> or both? Yes. Both. <laughs> um, I think all of our audience would agree when they say probably don't need another little BK running around. Man, do you think that would be another little I, BK? I can't ima- There's no way. <laughs> would that kid have the power of you? What? The, would your little one, future little one, would they have the power of BKO? A little BKO. Would they? It wouldn't down an air, airport, but it would down a... I'm not quite sure. It's an airline, not <laughs> an airport. Sorry. <laughs> not just one specific airport. It's the entire nationwide airport. I'm just saying, man, in the back of your mind, you and Kara just need to have that in, you know, like, hey, are we mentally torture, torturing our, our parents? Because at some point they could sue us. Did you think about that? Is that why you ended no, up having God, kids? No, my parents were asking after year two, and I'm like, you have to wait a while for that. <laughs> that ain't happening. Katie and I had a rule when we got married. It's like, uh, until I have a full-time job, it's not happening. And then I got a full-time job, and then I was, like, trying to make more of an excuse. But by then, it was already a lost cause. Yeah. In 15 minutes or so, what would it mean for the Blues if they get Marco Scandella? Don't name your kid me, by the way. 636. Oh, my God. Name him Tanner. Tanner. No, no. Don't do that. No, I can't. Then it's going to have the power of BK and TKO. Wow. I don't have a TKO. Should have heard him yesterday talking about Wayno's no-hitter. Katie Wu joins us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line for our weekly conversation with the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu joining us here on the show. Be sure to subscribe to The Athletic for pieces like her Cardinals weekly wrap-up, which went up earlier this morning. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. How are you doing out in New York this afternoon? What's up, guys? Uh, alive and well. Uh, maybe there's a baseball game between the Cardinals and the Mets today. Maybe not. We'll see. Uh, it's always fun to, to be traveling in spring and dealing with the weather. It's a good reminder that St. Louis is not the only one that deals with unpredictable weather. So just same boat as a lot of Cardinals fans right now, just kind of waiting it out, seeing what my night's going to look like. Uh, Katie, do me a favor while you're at New York. Go check out my favorite pizza place in New York City, uh, Sabaro's. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I knew as soon as as soon as the sentence started, I was like, I know exactly where you guys. <laughs> so did I. God That's bless the you. Worst part. I God knew exactly you. where he was going. I was like, yeah. no, he's definitely going with something different this time you gotta around. Got to go with the office in this one. That's the way to go with this one, Katie. It is. If true. you get the night off, what are the plans in New York City? If you don't mind us asking. 
Uh, it's a good question. I mean, what day is it? Monday? Uh, <laughs> I feel you, Katie. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I mean, most of the Broadway shows are dark tonight, but a Phantom of the Opera might not be. That might be a good call. Um, I'm not sure. Night's young. We'll see. Katie, you should have seen the face on Tebow when you said Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he knows what that is, but still, he's unfamiliar with that work. Yeah. Oh, oh Tanner. Oh, Tanner. All right, Katie, let's get into these Cardinals. Um, it was an up and down weekend. It ended with quite the uh, the celebration yesterday and a fun win for Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, uh, Albert Pujols all getting the job done. What have you made of this hit and miss offense? It seems like one night they're putting up two runs against the Baltimore Orioles, and then the next you've got 15 against arguably the left hand, best left-handed starter in baseball right now. I mean, isn't that just a, a perfect synopsis of, of baseball? I mean, we've seen the Cardinals. We, we At this point, you know, they've played over 30 games. You kind of have a brief idea uh, or getting some clarity, at least, in what this team looks like, right? Like, the starting pitching is better than we expected it to be. The bullpen is really good. Uh, the kids, they can play. Uh, and the offense, like, obviously, they have the power potential. It's just the consistency. Uh, I know that scoring is down throughout baseball, right? And But that's no... I don't know. That doesn't make anything better when you're a fan and you're, you expect to see your team scoring and, and producing with a consistent offense. Um, so I don't. I understand that scoring's down throughout the league. Um, I understand that maybe there, there's some controversy with baseball. Maybe not. I think with the Cardinals, though, it is just a story of, of overall consistency. They have the power. They have the guys. Um, obviously, it's helpful with guys like Dylan Carlson and Yadier Molina starting to hit the ball better, finding their timing. They'd like the same for Tyler O'Neill. Um, but for now, I think the offense is kind of maybe the only question about this team right now. I think you can look at the Cardinals and reasonably expect or reasonably think to know what you're going to get with every other element in this, in this team. So, Katie, I was asked by a, a friend yesterday if Tyler O'Neill's season last year was a fluke or if he's going to get back to that form this year. How would you answer that? I do not think it was a fluke. Um, I do think that. And I, I can't speak for Tyler, right? And I, I would, I don't want to be giving him an, an avenue for, for an excuse. I know that he is not a player that will take excuses. I think maybe we are not considering the overall effects of his arbitration case and having to deal with that in season. Um, and, you know, again, not speaking for Tyler. And in no means saying, oh, this arbitration case is the reason why he's playing this way. And I don't think he would say that either. Um, but I think that does play a little bit of a factor into when you're negotiating over pay for and you're consistently hearing what this team thinks you're worth and you think you're worth more and you're going back and forth on logistics the business part you know maybe that does play a, a an impact on on your mental health or just your mentality at the plate but you know tyler's looked off he's noted his timing's been off the quality of the bats have not been good he'd be the first to say it he said so on thursday that he feels like he's finding himself a little bit more but it's going to take a couple more hits a couple more barrels to really find his rhythm don't think it's a fluke. Uh, I do think the Cardinals are a little concerned, but maybe with arbitration behind him, the next couple of weeks we'll see some some positive signs from Tyler developing at the plate. All right, I'll report back to my friend that he's an idiot, Katie. I thought so when he asked me that too, <laughs> but I just wanted to make sure. Please do. Okay. No. His friend, <laughs> totally. quote unquote, was whoa, asking whoa. that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Are you insinuating I don't have friends? No, yeah. I'm just saying I think that might have been a question you were asked. Yeah, Shut it, know, it just seemed, seemed reasonable. We're talking to Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for the Athletic. She's joining us here on BK and Ferrario as she does each and every 
every Monday on the show. You should find her work over at The Athletic. Subscribe over there. It is excellent work, well worth the price of admission. Uh, Katie, it seems like we are officially getting the Yadier Molina that the Cardinals were hoping for this season. In his last 10 games, he's uh, had five extra base hits. He's batting 325 in that stretch. Is this what they were hoping for when they put together that plan of trying to get him back on track? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think both parties and and Yadier Molina and the Cardinals uh, coaching staff were aware that this was going to take a little bit of time. I mean, he was late to an already short spring camp. Both parties said that they, you know, they didn't, yeah, he didn't see the amount of live at bats that either would have liked him to see. Timing was going to struggle. That's why we saw so much of Andrew Kisner in April. I do think that we'll continue to see more of Kisner than in years prior. We've talked about this before. Um, that there does seem to be a little bit more of a, a platoon between the two. But now when you're seeing Yadier Molina hit the ball and find his groove at the plate, I mean, this is what Adam Wainwright said yesterday. His balance is good. The ball is starting to carry more. And Wainwright said when, when Molina starts hitting the ball like that and starts getting that good bat pass going, he can be a really dangerous hitter. I think we're seeing that. Um, I think Ollie Marmol is seeing that. And I think Yadi is seeing that. And that does, goes a long way in the overall longevity and, and elongating this lineup, as we talked about, can struggle with the power sometimes. So great signs all around from Yadi, who's really seemed to kick it in the high gear over the last couple of weeks. Last couple of week, I should say, it does seem like he's more comfortable and has found his timing there. Katie, we saw the uh, spark that Edmundo Sosa can provide, not just last season, but yesterday as well. And Brennan Donovan, you mentioned it in our open that the, the kids can play. Do you see those two taking the job at shortstop for the rest of the season? Or do you still think that the Cardinals might look elsewhere for an answer at that spot? You know, I think it's it's too early to tell, but I will say that I've been really impressed by what Brandon Donovan's been doing overall. I mean, this is a guy that's played all four infield positions already, has handled it with, with ease, his position's always changing, um, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. He always seems to be impactful. He's making really good at bats. Sosa always brings that, that fire. He brings a spark. He plays with such electricity, and it's contagious to that team. I think the Cardinals have an ideal way to cover the shortstop role in Brendan Donovan and Amundo Sosa for now. Uh, I think it's, again, a little too early to say if that's going to be a definitive plan. Um, but that's what the trade deadline's for, right? If, if the Cardinals go over the past couple weeks or and into, into the summer and they like what they see from the shortstop position and they believe they can cover it internally, then they're going to be able to. But, you know, there's always a chance for them to upgrade. I'm not saying that they will. By any means, I'm just saying that there's a lot of options, and I don't think we should write off any of them right now. Let's. Th- this is all off the record, Katie. There's nobody listening right now whatsoever. <laughs> no one's listening. Yeah, right. th- pot, there's, pot it down, there's no way Twitter gets a hold of this and makes more of it than needs to be. But if I told you right now, one of these four options is your starting shortstop going into a playoff game for the Cardinals this year, which one would you say is most likely? Edmundo Sosa, Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, or somebody not currently on the roster? Hmm. Again, this I'd is not Katie Sosa. reporting anything. It's not. It's not reporting, right? This is not just my all. best guess. Yep. I would say Edmundo Sosa. I would not be surprised to see Tommy Edmund, though. And if Tommy Edmund is playing at shortstop, I'm assuming you Nolan think Gorman. that Nolan Gorman is playing second base. Yes, that would be correct. But Katie's not reporting. As we all know, nobody especially when it comes to this team, it's, they're very hard to predict on how these things shake out. Um, I'll say this, and this is I'm I'm, I'm comfortable saying this. No matter what t- version of the Cardinals defense takes place in October in a potential uh, postseason playoff hunt, I would not be surprised. Does that make sense? In terms of 
Gorman playing oh, and like where, and, where and they're at where they're at. Yeah. Katie, I, I want to ask you about Nolan Gorman. I find him to be really interesting because he's striking out 36% of the time right down, down in the minors. And I don't have to tell you, he's absolutely crushing the baseball. When he hits it, it goes really far. And he has 14 home runs already. I think he's now tied for the AAA lead in home runs this year. Does that seem like the profile of bat that the Cardinals typically go after to acquire? Um, I think it really depends on, on circumstance and the kind of overall player profile. It's a good question. I think with Nolan Gorman, though, the idea and part of the reason why the Cardinals are, are waiting to make sure he's completely ready, and we talked about this before, you guys, is that they expect him to be an impact every day on the starting roster player. That wasn't necessarily the case with Juan Yepes or, or Brennan Donovan, although those two have certainly played their way up to consideration, especially at, especially what Juan Yepes has been doing. I mean, that's the guy that has forced the narrative and forced himself onto the uh, starting everyday roster or everyday lineup, I should say. For Gorman, I think the Cardinals are are so careful because they don't want to rush him up. They want to make sure his development is right. The strikeout rate is a little high. He still needs some more time at second base to really be an overall solid everyday player for them. But I think they're they're willing to wait a little bit longer even than, than necessary to make sure that he is ready to go. So it's interesting that the offense profiles that way. I mean, we've seen that with Tyler O'Neill and, and the work that he's put in to be less of a two-true outcome player. Um, I'm sure that's what they're doing with Nolan Gorman as well. Uh, when you have such power like that and you're not necessarily hitting for average, again, that, who does that sound like? Paul DeYoung. But we saw what happened when you lose the power, right? And I think the Cardinals are trying to avoid having – any kind of setback with Gorman and they're really trying to promote that when he is called up to the big leagues, he is ready and he's put in a position to really be successful to kind of avoid some of the things we've seen in the past. Katie, are you expecting any fireworks between these two teams in this series? I cannot think of a series that screams, be careful or weird, weird vibes been four games at City Field between the Mets and the Cardinals. Um, I'm not sure if I'm, if I'm expecting fireworks, but I am expecting some sort of dramatics. Um, and it would be interesting to see how we how the teams respond after the first game, whenever that may be, um, and then see if there's any love lost there or if they've moved, behind, uh, moved past their bench screen altercation or if this is something that both sides remember. So that'll be interesting. Above all, uh, just another thing to keep track of two of the most dramatic organizations <laughs> in baseball. Final question, Katie, that we have for you today, and we're always appreciative of your time. We're going to be at the quarter mark of the season by the time we talk to you next, next Monday, if we end up having we a really? show. We, we will have a show, right? Uh, Memorial Day is two weeks from now? Yeah. Sorry for doing that do on you here. Not, do you not know how Where the are month we? works? What is today? Um, what, how would you assess Ollie <laughs> <just> Marmol's... <laughs> sorry. How would you assess the job that Ollie Marmol has done thus far as a manager as we're almost a quarter of the way through the season? I've been really impressed. I've been really impressed with the poise that he holds, with the way that he approaches high-leverage situations, how he's not afraid to bench starters if they're not performing. We saw that with Tyler O'Neill getting a two-day break. We saw that with Paul DeYoung getting a two-day break. Um, he's not afraid to mix it up, and he's not afraid to have a little bit of fun. I mean, look, it's a long season. Do I think that Albert Poole's pitching in the ninth inning should be a regular thing? Of course yes. not. Okay, um. okay, but yes, like yes and no. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
But I thought yesterday was the perfect way to do it. I think Ollie's found a really good blend early on of, of going for and competing at the highest level and also recognizing, okay, this is a time where we can really honor this guy and, and give baseball a really cool moment. Uh, and these games, of course, the longer we go down the stretch, the more high leverage they become, the more intense they become, the more that uh, things really start to rely on the outcomes. It'll be interesting to see how Ollie adapts, but I think the early indications are, you know, the clubhouse is really bought in, the coaching staff has great communication, something that Ollie has, has stressed from day one of spring training, that communication is number one in his eyes. And for the most part, I think he's done a really good job of pulling the right strings at the right time. And if he's not, he's also done a really good job in being, uh, in being open and, and being uh, accountable for, for things that he feels like he could have done better. So Definitely interesting. It's definitely not the same Cardinals team that we've seen in seasons prior that really was based on routine. Um, there wasn't a lot of shaking things up. There was the same roster every day, the same lineup every day. That's not how Ollie Wormel manages, and it's been interesting to kind of see that take over as a, as a new identity of the Cardinals. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week out at City Field in New York. We'll be following along over at The Athletic and on Twitter at Katie J. Wu is where you find her. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Enjoy yourself up in New York. We'll talk with you again next week. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next Monday. See, Sounds Katie. good. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN, as she does each and every Monday, unless it's Memorial Day, which, of course, as we saw, is two Mondays from two now. Weeks from that was worse today. than the AirPods moment last week. I'm not so sure about that, T-Bone. I think I think the Memorial Day one was worse. <laughs> okay, touche. Love you, buddy. <laughs> Coming up in 15 minutes, I'll still be trying to figure out what day today the is. The 30th. The Cardinals had a clear plane yesterday, and they executed it. Are we going to give Jeff Albert any credit for that? We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, what changes for the Blues if Marco Scandella is available? And could Tory Krug play in this series? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I would say maybe a possibility, and Scandella is a possible for sure. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Craig Bruby yesterday updating the status for both Tory Krug and Marco Scandella. I'm going to go under the assumption that we're not going to see Tory Krug in this series. You know what happens when you assume things? I could hopefully be surprised. And if he plays, that's awesome. That's what the saying is. I'm kind of assuming that he won't play. And that's okay. Like, the Blues have shown that they can overcome that. They've got Scott Perunovich available to them if they decided to go with the 11-7. and seven. Uh, They could even go 12-6. Maybe you decide, you know what, Scott Perunovich, we kind of need him in the lineup. He can be a third-pairing left-side defenseman for us. I don't know what they're going to do. But, Alex, it does sound like Marco Scandella is at least a possibility for this series. What do you do there if he is available? If you, if I told you today, Marco Scandella is an option for you, Scott Perunovich is an option, and then all the other guys that were used in the last round are options for you. How do you construct your six in your defensive pairings if they're going 12-6? and Because I think they will, at least in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, Letty and Pareko obviously are together. I just... I don't think you could take Scott Perunovich out because you need another power play guy. I don't want Falk playing on the power play. I don't want Pareko on the power play. I want somebody on top of Nick Letty playing with the power play units. And I would probably, if Scandella's available, I would probably take Mikola and Rosen out. Scandella would be playing with Robert Bortuzzo. Perunovich would play with Justin Falk. And then I would go Letty and Bortuzzo, or Letty and Pareko. But 
I'm still torn on if they're going to go 11-7 and 12-6. I really... I, I do you think you can do that in the altitude? That's, that's my that's only concern. That's the hardest part, yeah. man. That's the hardest part is I don't know if you can do that with your guys. Although, I mean, we've seen them do it before. Like, they played in Colorado at the end of the season, I think, with 11 forwards and 7 defensemen. Now, I understand that game didn't go very well for them. And but it's, it's just different in terms of the intensity yeah. as well. All of the shifts in this game are going to be at, if there is a 100% level of intensity, yeah. that's where the Blues Here's are at Here's the right thing, now. though. Like, they're, the fourth line for Colorado, I mean, this is the, 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 the way that the playoffs have gone. Like, you've mentioned, BK, like, Colorado's, Two of their three fourth liners have played an average of like eight minutes and five minutes. So they're not using 12 forwards. They're doing what the Blues have been doing. They're using 10 forwards and having that 11th guy rotate with somebody who's playing in your top nine. So the Blues are in as good of a shape as you can ask for a team. Like those guys condition themselves to play atmosphere, no atmosphere, altitude, 20 plus minutes. They can handle it. I just think I can't rely on Scott Perunovich to play top four minutes for how much time he's been out against this Colorado team. But I don't know if I want Marco Scandella playing with Justin Falk and I'm not taking Letty off of that pairing with Colton Pareko, but I also don't want the undisciplined play of Nico Mikula putting me in a bad position and like it or not, Callie Rosen had a rough game six against Minnesota. Yeah. So you wouldn't consider even at all because of what you just mentioned? Because I agree. I don't know if I want Prunovich getting top four minutes. I would consider at least potentially going Letty and Falk and then move up uh, Scandello back with Pareko. I get. I understand why you wouldn't. It's Letty and it's what Letty and Pareko did to Kirill Kaprizov. You yeah. are going to need that shutdown pair. Like it or not, if you consider it a shutdown or not a shutdown, they have to stop the top line of Colorado. And I don't mind Perunovic playing with Justin Falk because he's not going to be going up against McKinnon, although they might get some mismatches out there. But like I told you guys, I thought Scott Perunovic had a really good game five and game six defensively, just as much as he had offensively. It's just that's a different rodeo when you're talking yeah, about playing totally Colorado different. when you played, what, two games since January 15th? I think three now, yeah. yeah. Um, I, the other thing is, I think this is a good series for Nathan Walker. Like I did not think that was a good matchup for him in the last round. This go of it, I, I think Nathan yeah. Walker makes a lot of sense going up against the Avs. I don't think that you're at a size deficiency here. Like the the fact that he's what five eight five nine whatever it is, I'm not worried about that against Colorado. Whereas against Minnesota and those trees, uh uh-uh, uh, nope, yeah. not not interested. And I know that that was the issue for Craig Berube as well. So I think that it makes a lot more sense in that regard to have him out there as a as an option for you. And then it just comes down to if I am going to go the twelve six, if we we operate under that assumption, I can understand. I think the way that I would go, and it's tough, man. I, if you say everybody's available to me, I think I'd go Letty Pareko, Rosen, Falk, and Perunovic Bortuzzo. Uh, I just don't know if I'm doing Rosen. I didn't think Rosen played that well. Rosen the last had game. some turn like turnovers have been the biggest thing that you cannot do against this team, and he had but three so of them. Scandella all year, but he did play better. I, but like, think about where I think p- that's the decision point, though. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because I do not think the decision is Perunovic versus anybody. I think Perunovic is in. Mm-hmm. I need him on my power play because this series you've yeah, you got to be able to, to score there. Mm-hmm. I think the decision is Rosen versus Scandella. I do not think that I'm going with Mikola because of the Perunovic necessity. I've got to have him on my third pairing. So that takes Mikola out of the conversation. So for me, it comes down to Scandella versus Rosen. Well, and the other thing that you need Mikola for, which is the other consideration okay. in this, the PK. You you need, and look, if you don't play Mikola and you don't, and if Scandella isn't at 100% and you lose him, you've got three penalty killers that you're playing with. You need four penalty killers. You don't want to be in a position to where you have to play Scott Perunovich on the penalty kill or Callie Rosen on the penalty kill. Callie Rosen did good. 
Like, don't get me wrong here. Like, Callie Rosen has been that Carl Gunnarsson type player for you, and he's going to be pivotal at some point. You got I right. just said pivotal the first time, man. You're going to need him at some point in this series, but it comes down, you're absolutely right, it comes down to Callie Rosen and Marco Scandella. Like, who do you want there? And if I'm playing Marco Scandella on my third pairing with Robert Portuzo, I'm fine with it. Because if you go seven defensemen, Scott Perunovic is going to be that seventh guy. Sure. And Mikola is playing with Falk. And I thought Mikola did well with Justin Falk. But you got to make sure you explain to Mikola there cannot be any undisciplined penalties out there. And I thought he did a really decent job of that against the Minnesota did he, Wild. Did he See, take I would, any I penalties play against Mikula the Wild? To, to start out the series. I don't I don't think, did Mikola take a penalty against the Wild? I don't um, think he did. I don't know series, if he did, did he? to be honest with you. He might not have been. I don't think so. I thought Mikola had a really good playoff performance. He had six penalty minutes in this Oh, yeah, he was barely in the box. <laughs> yeah, barely. Okay, six penalty minutes in six games. That's I mean, it's one every second game. No. Yeah. How about that math for you? That was fractions. Um, I, I would not have him in my configuration it, to start this thing out. I, I always say, though, you don't ask a player to be more than what they are. Maybe Rosen's already done his job, to your point, Alex. Maybe, maybe what you got out of him in that first round, that's what you needed. And he was a pivotal player for you. In that series, he, he, he basically kept you afloat. He bought you time to be able to get these other guys back, and now you go as you've been leaning on all season. He was so. the seventh defenseman for it. I mean, he honestly was the Carl Gunnarsson to where when you were in a bind where you felt like Edmondson wasn't playing well or Vince Dunn wasn't playing well, and you said, okay, we need Callie Rosen here. We need Carl Gunnarsson here. That's what Rosen was for you. But my biggest concern in this series is turnovers. Because Definitely. if you give them extended playing time in the offensive zone, you're going to get killed. So I need Callie Rosen if he's playing, I need him in an emergency situation. But if Marco Scandella is available, you're going to need some tree trunks on the back end of your blue line as well. And Marco Scandella, if he's not playing in my top four, I prefer that with Robert Portuzo because he can handle that load. And then I'm worrying the biggest pairing that has to be together is Letty and Pareko. Like there is no breaking those two up. I'll figure everything else out. I heard, I think it was Curbs on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. He mentioned uh, that Craig Burby had a sizable advantage as in terms of his coaching in the first round. This round, you're going to have a closer matchup when it comes to the coaching staffs. They've got a good coaching staff they, in Colorado. They've got the former Blues assistant coach, Ray Bennett, who was the defensive coach and the penalty kill coach for the Blues for the longest time under Ken Hitchcock. They've got some experience on that bench as well. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think this is going to be a really big series when it comes to adjustments. Whatever you see in game one, like maybe they decide to go the 11 and 7 in game one and it doesn't work. And they realize in the altitude, this is just too much to double shift these guys on that fourth line. They'll make that adjustment. Craig Berube will be ready to go with a quick adjustment, unlike what we saw from Minnesota in that entire series in the first round. I'm still baffled by their lack of in-game and in-series adjustments. So maybe it ends up being Perunovic on that third pairing in the first first game. Maybe they go 12-6, and six and Perunovic is that sixth guy. Perunovic gets beat a couple of times, has a couple of bad plays. They decide to go 11-7 and seven in the second game. So like, whatever you see in the first one, that could be adjusted very quickly in game two. Yeah, see, I think you start 11-7 and seven because it's what gave you success in the last three games of the playoff series that you were in. And then if it looks like your guys are gassed by the third period or they're just getting beat in the second period on that long change, that's when you go 12-6. And then it becomes, do you want Walker, who I agree with you, play, matches up well in the series? I really want to see him. Or do you want the size of Logan Brown?
because you would be out. You would have more size on your fourth line with Brown and Torpchenko and Tyler Bozak, and he was the third best move by Doug Armstrong yes, in the last yes. ten years. And, and we mentioned, I think, in the Wild series too. Game hey. one is basically just a feeling out point too. Each team is trying to mm-hmm. feel out each other, and it's going to be the same way for Craig Bruby in game one. He's going to feel out what he thinks works, what he doesn't, and then, like you said, BK, game two, <clears> I expect to see multiple changes, unlike what the Wild did in that first round series. One game played for Logan Brown against the Colorado Avalanche. One Goal. point. Oh darn. Just saying. I'm hey. sorry. How many points does Walker have against the Avalanche? <laughs> he got pulled after the first game because they're like, ah, he's small. What a one he put him in against be, Colorado. We'll be on site at Enterprise Center before game three and four. If you've got tickets and you're heading out to Enterprise Center for either of those games, be sure to get out there a little bit early. Enjoy the Bud Light Happy Hour pregame party in the Anheuser Busch Beer Garden beginning two hours prior to puck drop. Enjoy live music, food, drink specials, and stop by the 101 ESPN tables. You get registered to win a signed Blues jersey. Alongside Alex Ferrari. And Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, the Cardinals had a very obvious plan yesterday at the plate. It was an approach that seemed to come down from the hitting coach. Are we going to give him credit or do we just criticize him? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Cardinals dominated a lefty. What else is new? Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Dominated Cardinals are the word of... you're going to go with there? I mean, yes. Okay. They, they scored 15 runs. The ball off a lefty again. Was Steven oh, Matz pitching? Ron Carlos lefty. Rodon, not Rondon. Don't call me Rondon, Carlos Rodon. Who are you insulting there, man? You oh, gave okay. up 10 hits and eight earned runs. He gave up more earned runs yesterday against the Cardinals than he had in his last six starts combined. So, yeah, they dominated Carlos Rodon yesterday. Maybe he was having a bad day. And Alex, they had a very clear philosophy. They had a game plan coming into that one of we are going to hit the first pitch off of him all day long. And they ended up with three first pitch hits in the first inning of that game. It's the second most first pitch hits any team's had in any inning all season long. The Cardinals executed what their game plan was yesterday. And typically those kinds of game plans come from who, Alex? The manager. The hitting coach is who I was going for there. Are we going to give any credit to Jeff Albert? I'm not saying he deserves a ton of credit for an offense that has been hit and miss all season long. Not disagreeing Hmm. with anybody there. But when he does do something that appeared to work out pretty well, we can give him that credit, right? Can I speak for all Cardinals fans? Please. Hell no. That's not what I believe, but that's what Cardinals fans seem to believe. Because when you teased it in our last segment, uh, everyone jumped in immediately and said, well, obviously not because Tyler O'Neill is struggling. Paul DeYoung is struggling. Dylan Carlson struggled at the beginning of the season. Uh, I mean, look, we had Eduardo Perez on Friday who basically he was a hitting coach. And he said, yeah, hitting coaches have some details that go into the game. But it's on the players once they step into the batter's box. They've been given all of the work that they need to. You just got to go out and turn it into something. So the hitting coach has a mentality that comes into play with the organization. That's why John Mozalek has kept him around. That's what he has stated numerous times of he has he has hands on the entire organization, not just the major league level. Sure, I start to get a little frustrated every once in a while when the offense goes silent. But at the end of the day, we've seen the best of Tyler O'Neill, and Jeff Albert was still the hitting coach. We've seen the best of certain players on this roster, and he was the hitting coach. Heck, look what he got out of Edmundo Sosa last season. So 
No, I'm not going to blame the hitting coach for what he's done. I'll give him credit when the offense hits. I just I have a hard time sometimes with the hitting coach discussion because I, I feel like Paul Goldschmidt was able to get himself back on track, but we don't give credit to uh, to Jeff Albert because, of course, Paul Goldschmidt got back on track. Nolan Arenado is having one of the best seasons, best starts of his career, and in the offseason, he decided to do what? Go to all of the different places that uh, basically apply the same philosophies to hitting that we've heard Jeff Albert preaching over the last few years. He went to driveline baseball, which is the most modern of all modern baseball places that you can go to. And now he's having a ton of success with a lot of those same philosophies. Uh, We see Juan Yepes, who came from the system that, according to the Cardinals, Jeff Albert is in charge of. He's having success at the big league level. Same thing for Brendan Donovan. Same thing for Andrew Kisner. We're watching guys like Dylan Carlson be able to figure it out on the fly. He had a tough start to the season. He's been really good over the last three weeks now. You look at Edmundo Sosa. Yesterday looked like a completely different player at the plate than he had been earlier in the season. Now that's one game. He's got to be able to sustain that. Otherwise, it's just one game, and we look back on it and say, and that was the exception, not the rule. But I just have a hard time when we hone in on, hey, Paul DeYoung is not working, Tyler O'Neill not hitting, therefore, uh-uh, that's on Jeff Albert. When there's all of this other stuff that's happening right now, it's like, okay, I understand, and those things are really bad. But Paul DeYoung just might not be a good player anymore. Like He's gone possible. through other hitting coaches, and he struggled. And Tyler O'Neill, like, he's got to work himself through this thing. It's still very early, but it's possible he could have a similar rebound to what we saw from Dylan Carlson. I just don't want to give him all of the criticism with none of the credit when things clearly went well, and it was, at least it appears, in part due to his philosophy yesterday. Yeah, and, like, you got to give him the credit because – that's the game plan that he's drawing up, and that's what is being passed along through those pregame meetings, and that's coming, as you mentioned, through the hitting coach. But I'm with you. It is hard to kind of pull and pick what to give credit to and what to like blame the hitting coach on. I can't sit here and blame him for Tyler O'Neill's struggles, as you pointed out, because that's a that's a, more of a Tyler O'Neill issue than it is the hitting coach. The hitting coach can kind of try and guide him in the right direction, but that doesn't mean he's going to do it. That's what we talked about all the time with Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung had mentioned at one point when we were in the clubhouse, you know, Jeff Jeff Howard helped me pick up on something that I wasn't doing. Well, it's not his fault that Paul DeYoung couldn't fix it and then got sent down to the minor leagues. It's not a Jeff Albert problem. If you want to look at the overall work of Jeff Albert, I get you're going to point at the offensive numbers, but one, you look at the minor leagues, you got all those kids that coming up, as you referenced, that are hitting the ball well, and now they're starting to translate to the big leagues and the Yepes and Donovans. And two, honestly, what's it going to do you, do you any better if you move on from Like, Kansas City fired their hitting coach today. Do I expect the Kansas City Royals to come out and start hitting the ball better and become the team that's going to go on a run and win the AL Central? No. No, they don't have the... T- no offense. That's because like they don't switching have the your goalie there. in hockey during the regular season. In the middle of a game where you switch your goalie and you're like, hey, this is going to give us more energy. It might work. Like It very well could work in that individual game. But you still got a goalie problem yeah, you're if looking, that guy has an 895 save percentage if, on the season. If you're firing a co- or a hitting coach and you're bringing in another hitting coach, you're hoping that the message can resonate within those players. But remember what Eduardo Perez told us. Everyone's got their own hitting coach. They've got their own individual yeah. people. It's not like they're only listening to Jeff Albert. They're listening to seven other people. It's how guys can... That's a good point. Intake all of those messages and implement it into their game. I guarantee you Nolan Arenado has had eight or nine people in his ear throughout his career telling him how he should be hitting. And the one person that he listened to, it resonated and it implemented to something into his game. And somebody on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 said, you can't fire the entire team. No, you can't. But you also can't fire a hitting coach after two seasons if he does, if, if the offense isn't working 
and bring in somebody else and then fire that guy two years if it's not working. You can't continue to do this and say, oh, well, it's this guy's fault. It's the same thing with a hockey head coach. It's so infuriating when people say, oh, well, we got to fire Craig Berube because the team's not playing well. No, at some point you have to look at your roster and say, we need you guys to perform better. Yeah, the, the other thing is like, I, I will listen to this argument. If you're somebody that says, hey, the organizational philosophy offensively is to hit the ball really hard, to barrel it up, have those high exit velocities, and that's going to translate into a better offense. If you're somebody that points to their lack of hard hit rate, which, by the way, right now is quite literally last in the league and their lowest exit velocity average in the league and the second lowest barrel percentage in the league. If you're looking at those numbers and saying to yourself, hey, he preaches this and the results aren't there for all of those numbers. Okay, that is a totally fair reason to critique what Jeff Albert is doing. I I absolutely agree with that. That's concerning to me. I I think there's something to that. But some of the things that end up being applied to Jeff Albert as he's the issue for this, I just think they don't necessarily stick. And the other thing to me, too, is if you were to make that that move, what you're talking about, pointing out to the, well, the hard rate and all that is down – Whoever you bring in is probably going to have pretty close to the same philosophy. That's baseball because that's in 2022. Baseball right now. So, like, it's hard for me to say, well, you're going to move on from Jeff Albert and you're going to go to X and he's going to have this different philosophy. The different philosophy is just basically going to be old school where it's C-ball, hit-ball. And, and I, some people will say, well, yeah, they got to do, but that's just not the modern-day approach. There's no real different philosophy in Major League Baseball. It's not like you have, like, a different uh, game plan. You know, we talk about football coaches. Well, he runs a different offense from him, and I think it'll fit better here. There's not really that as a hitting coach perspective. That's why I find it so interesting when you talk about a hitting coach and firing him or what has he done for a major league team. It's basically the player just got to go out there and he's got to execute. And if he doesn't, we're just going to use him as a scapegoat. Hey, the fast lane is set to square off once again with the Rizzuto show. Oh, are we going to be there? I, you know what? I pulled out my home run derby jersey and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to hit this. Home run derby is hosted by the O'Fallon Hoots. It's coming up on Saturday, January 4th. Haven't gotten January? my invitation. Excuse me. June 4th. January would be weird. <laughs> don't think you could do a home <laughs> run derby in January. Going to be outside Car Shield Field, O'Fallon, Missouri. It's brought to you by Mattress Direct. Well, we won't. It's going to be a fast pitch home run derby. You guys need to go talk with Jeff. I hope you're not going to come out and try and chirp uh, BK Man, and I. This actually sounds like a really cool event, too. Rick Ankiel, Ray Langford, Daniel Descalso, and Raphael Fercal are oh going to be there. Raphael Fercal's going to be there? Tickets are 15 the bucks. Hell? All the details at 101ESPN.com. We got to pay if we want to go. We'll be buying tickets as well. Yeah. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind we here suck. on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tickets to see the Smashing Pumpkins on November 1st at Enterprise Center. Tickets for the Spirits on Fire Tour with the Smashing Pumpkins are coming up on sale right now. I love that song. Your bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101ESPN.com or on the 101 mobile app where you can just listen to 101 ESPN throughout the week this week. Here is your chance to win. seven times. I know. 65780 is your comfort service text line. If you're texture number 101 and you can tell us which musical it was. 
that Tanner was unfamiliar with it's an earlier opera. today. It's okay. You know, Katie's going to the opera tonight. <laughs> Jeez, man. Why does he just give up the answers? What are we doing? Well, if you're texting number 101, well, you can answer that question. You're going to see Smashing Pumpkins. Congratulations. Tanner gave you doing? the answer. What are we doing, T-Bone? Now like through next attacked. Friday, limited edition <laughs> Dunk CD16 t-shirts are available to order. Now through next Friday, you can order them in honor of Dunk proceeds from all sales going to support the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. Check that out, that limited edition Dunk t-shirt and order yours now at 101ESPN.com. Now, coming up now, now. is the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A good story helps us understand the world and how to make it better. That idea drives what we do on the Daily News podcast, Post Reports. We bring you stories that empower people. You know this is a fraud, right? Why are you calling people doing this? And that hold powerful people accountable. Wait, you did what? We had to sue your office twice to get our hands on these documents. My name is Martine Powers. I co-host the show. Take the trusted reporting of The Washington Post wherever you go. Follow and listen to Post Reports.